0: The Monster Squad What the hell's Monster Squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think Oh, come on, Dad I'm waiting all year to see this movie There's a monster in my closet ooh Gary House Real monsters Us Twelve years old Don't be chicken shit. Chick. Wolfman's got mad Let it
1: begin We're the Monster Squad And the monsters of
0: evil that are high Monster Squad Okay. Oh.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another fantastic episode of The Spooky Picture Show, where four friends get together to discuss all things horror, and as usual, always and forever, we keep it spooky. My name is Michael Felsher. I'm one of four co-hosts on this show tonight. And my name is Chris McGibbon.
3: And I'm Peter Brackey. I'm Kevin Ellis.
2: And uh, this is going to be something of a departure for The Spooky Picture Show. We are actually doing... Some interviews tonight with some very, very special guests, and I will let our co-host Chris McGimmon get into what exactly we're up to tonight. Of course.
4: So, uh, one of the most amazing things that's happening this year is my one of my all-time favorite movies is turning 35, and I uh, I, I feel the pain of that because I'm also turning 35. So. This year, but uh, and that is the Monster Squad. So uh, we cannot be more honored to have these two guests with us, who are a big part of the reason that that film exists. Um, and we're excited to have them here. They're our first guests. You guys are our first guests ever. We haven't had any people come on the show, so we we're letting you into our club. All right. I hope
1: we don't that. screw <laughs> up. That's right.
4: First up, uh, I want to introduce uh, actor. Andre Gower played Sean hello hello thanks for having me good to be here and then of course writer director Fred Decker uh, thanks
1: Chris
4: thank you guys so much for being mm-hmm. here we really appreciate it and uh, I think I speak freely for everybody here that we really love the movie um, we're, we're fans of it uh, you know and uh, yep. um, it was a big part of my life growing up uh, I saw it at I was probably about six years old when I first saw it and I was the weird kid who didn't have any friends because I liked horror movies and I liked scary stuff. And all the other kids just thought I was just weird. They didn't want anything to do with me. And uh, this movie in my young brain sort of gave me hope that someday I would have friends. Because these kids were all friends and they all liked scary stuff. And wow. you know, and it was pretty a- amazing to see that because I was like, wow, they're kids just like me. And not only that, but they're fighting monsters, which is super cool. I mean, you just didn't see that. Yeah. So. Um, so really, honestly, thank you so much for making this movie and making it real, um, because it it does mean a lot to me, and you know it it did was a big part of how I became a horror fan and grew as a horror fan. So, well, yeah.
3: thank you. Now, I, mean, I just want to second what you said, Chris. Like people forget, thirty five years ago there wasn't really the internet, so like if you were a horror fan, you really did feel like there was no one else like you. I remember being in high school too, you know, grade school, dating myself. And like you just felt like a freak, like so. A movie like The Monster Squad and stuff, like it really did make you feel like you belonged, and there was other people like you out there. So, um, I know I don't know. Maybe people don't appreciate now how important movies like The Monster Squad really are to people. So, again, thank you guys as well. I just want to second what Chris said, for coming on. So. Absolutely.
1: Awesome.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, I would just like to say that. Uh, Obviously, I ended up having something of a professional connection to The Monster Squad, which was great, but um, I saw this movie when I was 14, so I was pretty much the age of the kids in the movie when that movie came out. And there were, let's just say there were a lot of movies around that time with kids around that age acting Mm -hmm. hip and cool and funny and going on adventures and stuff. I'm not naming other movies in any particular. I'm just saying that there were a couple others out there like that. And Monster Squad was the one that I related to the most because I those kids either they were friends of mine like that or they were people that i would like to know and i remember going and then it was interesting it's like you know i i feel like i'm more horace i want to be sean Mm -hmm. there's no way i'll ever be as cool as rudy and i have the foul mouth of phoebe so yeah i related to everybody in there and there was just there was a at the end of that movie i just remember going i i i felt a, a more of a personal connection to that and that was Rare for me because normally when I when I was that age, I wasn't interested in seeing other kids necessarily like me. I wanted Indiana Jones. I wanted adults that I could look up to. You know, the kids were not my age. I wasn't so interested in. But with that movie, I was. So uh, that was a rarity back then. And, and uh, it's been interesting to see how so many generations that have come after me embrace it in exactly the same mm-hmm. way. In fact, when it came out, it doesn't mean anything to them yeah. at all. So,
4: you know. I actually just recently did a. An, a screening yeah. and uh, there were a couple of parents who brought their kids to the movie, um, it was an outdoor screening and one of the the best things I heard all night when the movie was over was this kid looked at his friend and goes that was amazing, that was like Stranger Things but it's better than Stranger Things because it came out before Stranger Things so it was like <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic you know Good so on, yeah, it, was, you uh, it was pretty awesome to uh, there was a lot of people there I was actually really shocked that had never seen it before um, that really loved it and there were a lot of them that were just saying how have we never seen this before this doesn't make sense this was such a good movie and I said yeah I know it's it, it, more people need to see it and I will spread it as far and wide as I can to anyone who wants to is curious about it um, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's, I own it in like several different formats so I'm ready I have it on Blu-ray, I've got it digitally I've got it on LaserDisc, I've got it on VHS I'm just missing the beta tape mm. So <laughs> at some point maybe who knows, but uh, but yeah so it's uh, it's it's amazing to me that you know it's being discovered still and uh, people are still responding very positively to it. I think that I love that.
5: Yeah, I was wanting to thank my dad for he he um, my dad saw the advertisement for the movie first before I did. He was like, you have to go see this movie. Because I was into Freddy and Jason. He says, I want you to see the real monsters. <laughs> he took me, and he we both loved the film. So yeah. that's my experience. Well, honestly,
6: those are, as a response to those, uh, you know, from my perspective, that's uh, those are all super individual and unique stories that sound exactly like everybody else that gets together and talks about it. And that's why I think whatever... You know, Fred and Shane ended up putting on a page and then putting on a screen is what connected with everybody, and that's why we're still talking about it today. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are part of a, I, I, I do these conversations on the regular. It's like this is my third one this week, and um, oh, wow. it's. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's mundane or routine, but that's what's really cool about this dynamic with the impact and the connection that this movie made with the kids that saw it, no matter when they saw it. Uh, and that that's something unique that uh, we that it, I haven't really seen with a lot of other stuff. So that's that's what's been enjoyable about being a part of this.
4: Yeah, I think the the the, the draw for that for a lot of people or kids of, of my age was that it was a PG thirteen movie, so it was pretty accessible to us, and it was on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people I know that saw it that don't remember what the movie was but they remember things about it and when they're describing to me oh that's monster squad like I remember there was a wolfman the kid kicked him in the nards and like that. okay that's that's the monster squad there's Frankenstein's friendly there's a little girl that's monster squad like they just remember parts of it but mm-hmm. um, I, I you know there are a lot of folks that I know that saw it earlier in life on TV or through um, a friend rented it at the video store and you know they had a slumber party and it was like or a sleepover or whatever and they all sat down and watched it and you know, their parents were cool with it because it was PG-13. It wasn't like an, a hard R horror film. Uh, I to this day still don't know how my aunt went to the store, picked it up, and said, "Yeah, he's gonna want this." And unfortunately, she's not around for me to ask that. But that's how that happened. My aunt was like my gate, my my, my drug dealer for these movies. <laughs> you know, like she was <laughs> supplying me with them, and this was one that she bought for me. And you know, I just remember like tearing it apart. You know, like watching it over and over and over again, and like making my brother and, like, showing it to, like, the friends he was having over, because my brother was older than me, so I was trying to be like, hey, watch this cool movie, like, and, you know, they don't want to talk to this little kid. They want to hang out with their friend, but, like, I'm trying to show it to them, and they don't care, and I'm like, oh, whatever, and, you know, but it, uh, it yeah, it just, it, it's it's amazing to me how, you know, how much people remember it, and then when the ones that don't, once they see it, they're like, oh, my God, this is great. It's just as good as I remember it. It's been a while, but it's
2: just as good, so... Still holds up. Um, you know, we could probably wax rhapsodic about this forever. <laughs>
4: we could. I was just about but to say, uh, let's get into the questions. <laughs> so, appreciate you catching on the same time I did. Um, so, well, let's start at the beginning with this. So, Fred, uh, you had just come off on doing Night of the Creeps, which is, you know, this kind of horror sci fi homage with zombies, alien slugs, college life, and of course, you got Tom Atkins in there. You know, that's kind of a hard R wow. horror film. And then the Monster Squad is ready to roll. Um how did you approach this project versus Creeps? And was there like a, you know, was there a process that you went through that helped you get through that transition?
1: Well, they're both pastiches in a way. I mean, I I'm like you guys, I, you know, I grew up loving uh genre movies and and Creeps is very much kind of a, you know, I've described it as like a stew where I throw in a little bit of, you know, 50s horror and a little bit of George Romero and a little bit of this and that and and you know, you end up with what that movie was. So the movies that inspired that were all kind of from the 50s on. And I always loved the Universal Monsters, and that was from a previous decade, A, previous, a, 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 a that was from the before time. So I knew that the tone of the movie and the visuals of the movie, in the same way that Creeps paid tribute to sort of the, uh, the, the 50s, science fiction horror films, that, that, that this one would be sort of true to the universal horror films, which were uh, a lot more formal in their visuals, um, a lot more gothic. Um, and uh, so that was a conscious decision in terms of what it looked like. And in terms of the, the tone of it, uh, I think it was very modern at the time we made it. Uh, but again, there were these sort of classic tropes that I was very much uh, enamored of and wanted to pay tribute to. Uh, so that was kind of my, uh, my MO, was to try and recreate the feeling of those old Universal pictures the way, that, the way that I loved them when I was a kid. And then the other big influence was the, uh, the old Hal Roach, Our Gang, uh, shorts, The Little Rascals. That was the, big, that was the big idea for the movie. The Little Rascals meet the Universal Monsters.
3: So, Fred, when um, you were developing the film, how did you come up with the selection of monsters that you are going to use? Yeah.
1: Well, that's kind of a no-brainer, really. I mean, you have to have Frankenstein. You have to have the Wolfman. Um, you don't have to have the mummy, but I, uh, and he was never sort of a favorite of mine. But, you know, it, it's a monster rally, so you need roughly the same amount of monsters as you have with the kids. So, the, the mummy had to be. We, we decided to put the mummy in there. And then we needed a ringleader in the same way that Sean is the leader of the squad. We had to have Dracula as the uh, as sort of the, the brains of the operation. Um, so, in a, in a way, it's really. I mean, Dracula is, is in some ways the, the. He's certainly the monster lead of the movie because it's his story that's kind of guiding the plot. Uh, and then the creature was in because I just. Love the creature. He's he's you know he's really in the top tier two or three monsters of all time for me, and uh, so I threw him in there. and And it's kind of funny because you know we'd ask ourselves, well, what the hell is the creature doing in this movie? And I said, oh yeah, we need we need something for him to do. So I said, I've got it. What if the Frankenstein monster is in a crate and the crate falls out of a plane into the swamp, and the creature's the only guy that can go in there and get it? So uh, that's kind of how we came up with the.
3: Rally. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool because it's kind of like the first version of a, a mashup. Like you think of like Freddy versus Jason, the stuff that came out later. Um, I mean, I know there was things like, you know, Abbott and Castell before that, but I can't remember a movie that had this many monsters, classic monsters in one place. I think you guys are the first ones.
1: Well, you're very young, my friend. You're very young. In, in, Thank you. <laughs> very, very quickly, very quickly, the history of it is that, the, that Abbott and Costello, whether you know this or not, the, the comedy team from the 40s, were the number one box office draw in the world. They were the biggest stars in the world, and they made sometimes two or three movies a year. And eventually they sort of started running out of steam. The Universal Monster movies, when they started running out of steam, that's when they started teaming them up. So you had Mm -hmm. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which now seems like a no-brainer, but at that time was really a great, interesting uh, uh, commercial idea. Like, we've got this Mm -hmm. monster that people like, and we've got this monster that people like, let's put them together in the same movie. So the first Monster Rally really was when they said, well... Bud and Lou are running out of steam, and the monsters are running out of steam, and even though we've done rallies with two or three or four of Mm -hmm. them, what if we have Abbott and Costello meet all of the monsters? And that was Abbott and Mm -hmm. Costello meet Frankenstein, which I would maintain is certainly in the top five or ten best uh, Mm -hmm. comedy horror movies of all time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And so that was my big inspiration, was to try and capture that.
3: Were there any licensing issues with getting the month the ones you wanted, or no? In terms of like, I mean, I know a lot of things well, like public domain, I suppose. But.
1: Well, Dracula is the public domain. Uh, Frankenstein's the public domain. What, what that means for you listeners is the books that those characters were created in were written so long ago that copyright lapsed many, many, many years ago. What hasn't lapsed, however, are the rights to the Jack Pierce makeups from those films. And we took the Monster Squad to Universal because I very specifically wanted it to be a Universal monster movie. And I wanted all the monsters to look just like the original films from the, from the 40s. And, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, Universal had no interest in, in taking those monsters and making movies with them. They said it's fine to put Frankenstein's head on on a coffee mug at the Universal Studios tour. But this intellectual property is meaningless to us. And what's ironic to me is that when I go to Universal to, to, to take meetings, there is a building at Universal which is the Dark Universe building, which is an ent- entire building of people trying to do what we
3: did. So crazy. We were ahead of our time. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Was there ever any pressure cuz you know, there's been so many iterations um, I know you want want to go back to the classic universals was well. there any you know pressure to make them more modern at that time cuz I remember you know like nope. the 80s no no Oh, nope. good None no. whatsoever yeah. um, I also want to ask too uh I, th- I personally think one of the things that's most resonant about the monster squad especially when I talk to other folks who it, you know who grew up on it and really meant something to them you know I mean it's, it's a great monster movie but it's also it's really I mean it's a classic classic coming-of-age tale. I mean, it's on par to me with Stand By Me or, or The Goonies for people. Yeah. So Fred, as a director, um, you know, when you're getting your cast together, you know, did you have any sort of process or something you wanted to do to kind of create that kind of chemistry and make a believable, you know, um, sense of camaraderie amongst the young cast and make that feel real?
1: Well, sure. I mean, that's what casting is. Part of it is finding the right actor and part of it is finding how that actor works in tandem with the other actors. So, you know, at first, our first, the first thing we did was we looked at each individual character and said, who's the best for this particular role. Um, and we got lucky. I mean, certainly the kids could have not gotten along. And I know, you know, and Andre will back me up here. There were, let's put it this way. He was tighter with some of the other actors Mm -hmm. than others. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but that would have happened in a real group of kid friends anyway. So, uh, part of it was just the luck of the draw
4: uh so Andre I wanted to ask um you know you're a young kid you you're taking on this lead role in this film with monsters um and other kids um you know you had to be the leader of this squad and there are parts of the film that you're the one doing most of the talking so you're kind of carrying those scenes was that daunting to you at all and did you do anything to get yourself ready to do those things
6: well I think as it as it ends up turning out uh I think, Michael, you may know this. Um, I don't know if anybody else does, but I actually never auditioned for Sean Crenshaw. Due to my body of work leading up to the casting time of this new film that a casting director has on their table, I had played the cool kid with a lot of hair product and maybe there was a leather jacket in there and uh, you know had some snappy dialogue somewhere or some cool attitude. Uh, you know for a number of years leading up to that. And so I think coming across the breakdowns and for casting directors or you know submissions to agents uh, that was it was like a no-brainer thing. And so I actually auditioned for the role of Rudy and uh, and, and and this is this is ironic because you know we, we talk about this a lot um, but I very rarely get to do it with Fred so I may get I may get a, I may get a question answered tonight <laughs> that I'd never known the answer to but um yeah i went through the audition process the callbacks you know and read as rudy and i remember you know what scenes they were and everything and a number of weeks later you get a call from your agent and said, hey congratulations uh, that movie you read for uh, they cast you in it and fortunately you know at this time for me the first question is which one are you talking about because at that day at any given weekday you're auditioning for two to four things and um so it's always great to get that call that you actually get cast in something and they said oh that that monster the movie the monster squad about the monsters and the kids and i was like oh that's great and they said but not the role that you read for and usually that's a usually that's a bad phone call (laughs) because you know historically if you read for something and like they may like you but you're the the, you're not right for the part it's usually a, a different role and i went what are you talking about and they go no they cast you straight as the lead and I said, damn it, Rudy's the cool character.
7: <laughs> you know, of
6: course we want to. That's the, no, no. And uh, no, they're like, no, this is a good thing. It's, it's, el-. and so, you know, I don't know how long I was, uh, you know, frustrated and went and, you know, re my hair or something. But, uh, it, it, you know, in the long run, it, it, it worked out where everybody's exactly. I know why I'm not Rudy. Could I have played Rudy? Sure. Put the hair, put the jacket on, have the attitude. It would have been a little campier, laid back, probably forced Rudy. Ryan Lambert walked in the audition and murdered and became Rudy in that moment. I know know how that went down. Uh, And he should. And he brought something great to this character that's now iconic, um, all to his credit, and to the guys that created the character itself. Um, You know, prepping, Chris, you asked about prepping for, you know, prepping to be the guy that's always talking, prepping to be the guy that's telling everybody what to do, prepping sort of the guy that's a proto control freak over time, but also knows how to delegate. I don't know. I think I might've just slid into that pretty naturally. Um, (laughs) you know, I've always been, you know, I grew up playing sports. I grew up in group activities. I was always team captain. I was always, you know, coaches aboard most inspirational, very rarely the MVP, um, just because you don't score as much, but you're always the one that makes things go and help other people. So, I think just kind of folding into Sean Crenshaw, you know, that's why it worked out perfect for not only me, but maybe for the story, hopefully, and for the fans, because that was just, just sort of like an easy transition. The, the only obstacle was, you know, I had to wash the, the gel out of my hair and get a terrible haircut and clothes that don't fit too well. So it was, um, you know, I was like, damn it, you know, I'm not cool anymore, but you know what, that's okay, because I learned a lesson, because I'm not playing me, I'm playing Sean Crenshaw. So there was a, there was, there was a couple things that you learn, Maybe not while you're shooting it, but maybe 20 years later. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think everybody's in the exact right spot. I know Fred and Shane and Penny Perry and all those. They read everybody in town like they would for a big movie at this time. And um, you know the weird. Like I was saying, I read, I auditioned for Rudy. And where I always, you know, just kind of marvel at the the fortune of it is not actually auditioning for Sean. Someone in that group. And I don't know if Fred knows the answer or not. Someone in that group, whether it was Fred, Shane, you know, Penny, whatever, when they're casting Sean, said, what about that kid we read for Rudy? Uh, could he be Sean? And uh, someone said, yeah, let's wash the stuff out of his hair and cut it. And yeah. And I owe everything to whoever, you know, that, those conversations happened that day. And I think everything worked out just right.
1: Well, if I can chime in, two things. One is I literally don't remember any other actor reading for Sean. This is a long time ago, and I'm an old guy now, but I literally don't remember <laughs> any other actor. Because it's so indelible now that it's like you get married and you don't, you know, I mean, you might think there's a cute girl over there, but, you, you know, you have your wife and that's the one that's first and foremost. So that was one thing. And the second thing is, I think the answer to your question, I'm not sure, but I have a sneaking suspicion it was Peter Hyams.
0: Oh, hmm. All right.
1: Mm-hmm. Said, I'll take it. <laughs> like I said, I think, I'm, the, I'm the one that lucked out with it. It feels like the kind of moment where where Peter says, you know what, I think that's the kid. And I said, mm-hmm. I think he's great. I think here, let's do it. Those well, were the best decisions. That, those were my favorite times working with Peter was when we were just sort of on the same wavelength and said, well, that's the answer to that question.
6: Well, uh, officially from the source, I appreciate you and Peter making that decision. So it's uh, it's mm-hmm. been it's been quite a quite a it was quite an experience then, and it,
1: it, it doesn't stop giving. <laughs> oh, it was the right decision.
3: <laughs> so Andre, when did you first meet um, your main co-stars like you know Ryan and Ashley and um, Robbie? And were there like any sort of like bonding experiences or memorable experiences you guys had?
6: Well, the only cast member that I had actually known was
3: Robbie Kiger, and he and I
6: are the same age. We grew up together reading for the same stuff, you know, because go back in time in the early and mid-'80s, uh, you know, when you know there was there were still a lot of kids in the business, um, but you knew most of them. And, uh, you know, at that time, you know, everybody talks about, you know, kind of your resume and your body of work and things like that. And, you know, in, I think at any given time of the, the – the group of kids that are in the industry, about 20% of the kids do 80% of the work. That's kind of how I formulated it out that time. I feel fortunate enough that I was part of that 20% because I worked a lot. Not everybody did, but Robbie, you know, you know everybody, whether you're sitting across from an audition room or, or on set or at someone's birthday party. And Robbie and I knew each other for years, uh, and that was it. Um, except for I also knew Jason Hervey, who played EJ, uh, and uh, Adam, uh, Carl tangentially, just like you know, in the audition room for years but jason and i were new uh you know uh, for years and then robbie i met ryan lambert i think about a month before we started shooting at a party and said you're ryan lambert and he goes you're Andre." drake i said i think we're making a movie together i said i think we are and uh i actually i think i have a photo from that party of that night so that was you know that goes back and um and I think I've met everybody else, you know, either up as we were wardrobe fitting or, or, or rehearsals or, you know, the first days on set because, you know, as kids, you, there's there's a lot more work than just reading your lines. You got to show up, uh, you know, start school, get all that ready. There's a lot going on. So there's plenty of time to kind of meet, co-mingle, uh, get to know each other, get to not like each other in those initial, you know, whatever and work out and figure out how to, you know, become the, the unit that you're supposed to be. And, you know, we, the the kids in the squad are all different ages. Ryan's you know, a year older than I am. Then it was me and Robbie's I think the same age. Uh, Brent Chalem was a year or two younger than us. Uh, and then of course, Michael and Ashley were super young. And so you know, it, you know, it's, it's a great cross-section of what our gang would be. You know, it's, a, it's a lot of age groups there. And, um, but I think that realism of a group of kids working together or being together um, not only worked in the classroom on set at lunch, but also uh, in front of the camera.
3: This Just popped in my head. I it was, what was the most trouble you guys ever got into on set? Did you ever do anything really bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't,
6: I don't see we, we get that a lot. Like, everybody thinks, uh, like we were just hijinks and running around, according mm-hmm. to Stephen Macht and Duncan Regeer. Apparently, we were on crack and sugar at the same time and running all over the place. <laughs> I don't quite remember it that well. I think maybe we had some enthusiasm and some good energy, but, um. One thing that I, I do like to talk about because it's, it's I don't want to say it's in defense of kid you know of younger actors or, or kid actors, but really what's interesting is when you're on a set and Fred can attest to this more than anybody that's on the screen right now um, it's it's hard to work with all the protocols and parameters and regulations because it's all time and it's all restricted and and each kid can only, with different age groups, can only be in front of the camera and on the set on the, you know, for certain amounts. It's a that's a ballet that you know a first AD and a director and production coordinator have to wrangle with all day long. We don't experience. We just know we have to show up and and do what we're supposed to do in, in a compressed amount of time. And so there's not a lot of fooling around. There's not a lot of hijinks. There's not a lot of pranks. Because you're the kid, like you don't want to be the reason that something misses or you go late or you miss a day or you miss a, the shot. Um, and then myself, you know, working as many scenes as I did, uh, you know, and especially at a scene, you're just trying to be as, as mature and, and, and professional as you can to, you know, get through the day. Because if you understand, i I worked a lot up to that time, um, you know, what that day's like, and you don't want to be the reason that something, uh, g- goes late or goes wrong. And so I think personally, I can't speak for everybody else, but did we have fun on the set? It was a it was a great adventure. It was amazing. Fred was awesome. Shane was awesome. You know, everybody on the crew was awesome with us. Our teacher was great. We got to go on cool locations. We got to see some stuff. But it's a lot of work to make a movie, especially when you're a kid. So that's uh, that's just sort of that initial perspective. But was it fun? Yeah. Who wouldn't want to work on this movie? I mean, it was incredible.
4: Yeah. Fred, did they get into any trouble? Let's ask the let's ask get dealt in the room. If I remember <laughs> I would tell you. what really happened. What are they covering up? <laughs>
2: What are they telling us?
1: You know, uh, not that I remember. I mean, Robbie was. Robbie could be a pain once in a while, but uh, (laughs) other than that. But also, you know, like, you know, Ashley was, what, five, six years old? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be times when something happens, but it's, you know, that's kind of. We knew that going in. If you're going to make a movie about kids, you can't blame them for acting like kids once in a while.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um,. Andre, uh, so I actually got a hold of the original press kit for this movie, and I read in it that you (coughs) were in Circus of the Stars. uh, uh, um, And so, did that help you with some of the more intense scenes in the movie? And were there any scenes that you specifically remember that were hard for you to film?
6: Um, I I don't know if if, I don't know if physically, uh, you know, hard. Um, The the one. And, and yeah, I was fortunate enough at the time, you know, before Monster Squad, I did Circus of the Stars when I was 10. And at the time, I was the youngest one to ever do the show. Uh, and then Amy Foster beat me by like six months or something. On the, and then she ended up doing a great trapeze act. And um, I did the double cradle. But and then the year after Monster Squad, I did it again. Um, did, did, did circus training or work help? And I, I think in some of the things that it, I've always been active, I was always always athletic, always sports oriented. Um, always pretty good hand-eye coordination, uh, balance is important to me. Um, the, the one place that it did, you know, is in, in some of the physicality of things. Um, you know, one we did, I think, I think we did shoot two things when I was supposed to, like, I actually went up and down in the practical treehouse. I know Ryan did to get the one shot, didn't use it. The one place where there was kind of like some stunt rigging for me, we didn't, the, we, uh, you know, the shot wasn't used. And I was, when I was flying into the vortex and they make the human chain and kind of hold me. And I was always a little uh, disappointed that that shot didn't make it in the final cut because that was my one big stunt. Because <laughs> I was up on a flying rig and with the wind, and I was like, "Yeah, I did, I did uh, a different stunt here." But I did like a little roll, I think, and dive out. Which, boy, you just give me a couch and some pillows in my living room. I did that since I was five <laughs> years old. That's all I did was right. bounce around my house and jump off of stuff. Uh, it, but that's what also helped me do Circus of the Stars and vice versa. Um, you know, and then just being, you know, just being physical and coordinated helps, I think, in anything, uh, and then, you know, I, I get to hit uh, Wolfman in the, in the head with a bat, but, uh, you know, so you got you to gotta sell it, you got to, it's, it's for the camera, but that's one of my favorite stories that is a total screw up on my part, because, like I said, I used to play, I had a lot of friends growing up, and that's one of my favorite memories about my childhood, the awesome friends that I have, and i still in contact with a lot of them, which is amazing. And uh, but I used to go out in the backyard and build worlds in my mind, or actually big physical things out of cardboard boxes and tree branches, and 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 jump through them and on them and flood them with water and just create these kind of worlds. And um, you know, so you're sort of in that space. And I remember being up in that kind of uh, set when I've got a you know smack wolf with the warehouse with the with the bat. And it was actually on my it was I'd swing for the camera. I swing the other way because I'm actually a right-handed bat, but you know, so it's fine. And Fred's like, all right, you're going to walk up, get the camera here, hit Wolfman, you know, say the line, hit Wolfman, your dad pushes him and he goes out the window. It's a big stunt. we can get like, you know, a few things. I was like, great. And so I'm all revved up for this shot, grab the phone pad. rolling, action, I walk up, hey asshole, <clears throat> great, do the thing, pushes him out of frame. Fred says, cut, he walks over to me, puts his hand in his It's great. It looks good. Let's do it just that way. But we don't need the sound effect. We'll add that later. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, did I make a sound effect? He said, yeah, and I think what it was, I just went back into that. Space that I would always be in of creating this world that I'm fighting this creature and I actually added in the wallop when with the bat kid, in my own. When you a kid, you always
1: have your sound effects with you. <laughs>
6: yeah, that's right. So uh, I did my own. Uh, I did my own bat thump effect and uh, and then rightly got told by the the man in charge that they will add that in later. So it was it was not I didn't need to do that. But uh, I remember that very well.
2: Like, how many modern day Star Wars actors have been caught going? Oh use yeah, use imagine use yeah. with their yeah, yeah. you when you don't need to do that. Yeah, we'll add yeah. that in later. <laughs>
6: you know. oh but one one quick that with, with that rigging with that rigging shot that did get cut one of the awesome things that i made sure now that you know the the role was different with wolfman's got nards is i got to use and the world got to see my stunt shot in that bts footage in wolfman's got yard so that's uh that was a that was a personal selfish shot choice in, in the documentaries.
4: <laughs> very nice gotta get out there somewhere Uh, Fred, can we just talk a little bit about the music? So the film has a score that's heavily orchestrated versus, um, you know, a standard synth score, which would have been pretty uh, common in the 80s. Um, It's also got a couple songs by Michael Sembello, who, you know, wrote Maniac. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about uh, how those music choices were made and why the option to go for a more orchestrated score was preferred?
1: I I think the 80s, I think that you're... You've stumbled into a cliché, which I'm not sure is true. I mean, the '80s—that's when synth scores started and uh, or, or, or became really popular. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there had been there had been synth scores in the late '60s into the '70s, and, and Kubrick was interested in that. But the truth is, the '80s uh, there were some of the great orchestral scores of all time were was, were done in the, in the '80s, I and mean, E.T. is an orchestral score. Back to the Future is an orchestra score, and it goes on and on. And so, for me, there was never a question of whether we were going to have an orchestral score or a or a synth score because this was a Universal Monsters movie. It was it was a tribute to a time when there was no synth. So that was really important to me, and I um, I loved the score for Silverado by Bruce Broughton, mm-hmm. which was a great example of somebody doing a, a western. Which was a modern a modern made western that had the flavor of of you know how the west was won or a score like or a score like that uh, or Elmer bernstein or something like that so um, i hired bruce and uh, i was really adamant that it'd be a a lush uh, emotional orchestral score and and i think it was peter who felt like we needed to have some some songs to make the film feel contemporary so michael cimbella was was entirely peter's uh input and i like the um um i I like the the rap at the end as cheesy as it is um rock until you drop had i had had a more uh, a little bit more wherewithal i probably would have said what is this song about Because it's really, a, it's really a, a number that's supposed to get us all jazzed up and the, the squad is getting their, their weapons together and they're, they're planning the assault and they're gonna take the castle And, and the song has nothing to do with it at all. And I, I know people like it, but it's like, what the, what is this What the hell is this? So, so that, that was a tip to the 80's. Mm-hmm. But, but for my money, the score itself is so fantastic uh and memorable that i could put up with a couple of uh,
2: uh cheesy songs so I, I i always interpreted the song as being a warning about rocking so hard that your feet might fall yes.
1: off and, well that's uh, true that no, was, michael like, michael's it was a cautionary that's tale true. that's true yeah. Yeah, that's true i i, I actually it was a big problem by the way back then <laughs> i actually well, love that
4: song we, and yeah. i i think a lot of people have told me they think it's the perfect 80s montage song it um it, it fits wonderfully for the scene, and it does kind of get people amped up, and it does sort of set it up. Um, maybe, I, I don't know, I, Michael is not here to ask this question to, but maybe he was thinking <laughs> along the lines of, you know, what's Maniac about, and that's in Flashdance, you know? I mean, there's one line about, you know, a steel-time girl on a Saturday night, looking, mm. you know, dancing, but, I mean, I think... There was a rumor that that song was actually about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> about a serial killer or something like that, before it became
2: part of Flashdance. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we we did a whole featurette yeah. about that. He was gonna, he was originally somewhat intended for the, the movie Maniac. Yeah, yeah. So oh, it's yeah, it was yeah. So, so, so maybe that was just Michael Sembello's M.O. It's like <laughs> let's make a song that has nothing to do with the movie. And, we, it, it, and also, Sembello was the go-to guy for in movie yeah, songs back yeah. then. You know, I mean, he was like, you know, who do we need? Get Sembello. Who else are we going to (laughs) get? You know. But, oh, Fred, now this, during that mantra, I have to, and this is a question that's not on our list, but it's, I got to ask it. I'm scared. (laughs) Is the, was there ever a scene in the movie that explained either the army's most intuitive bit of of intelligence ever when they got Eugene's letter (laughs) or is it the most grotesque overreaction on the military's part in history that they get this letter and go, well, this shit seems legit. Let's get to that town right now. I mean, it's just like, was there more to it than just getting the letter going, well, what more information do we need? Get all the I, the I, military
1: I, just, I think it's wonderful. I think, you know, the poor, little, poor little Eugene. He does nothing. He drops his Twinkie into the soup, and it's like, what does Eugene bring to the party? Right, I'll tell you what he does. No. He gets the fucking army to come and to the monsters. And the slide the no. is so cool that they've already dealt with the monsters by the time the army shows up. So. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was hilarious. Like, man, they, they just took this letter as face value and in, went. Well, in, in all honesty, this- in all
1: honesty, I think Shane and I looked at each other and we said, "This is funny." a 5 year old writes a letter yeah. to the yeah. army yeah. they read, in, army intelligence you know colonel you got to read this <laughs> yeah, they exactly. figured it out and they came to save the day i think it's fantastic yeah and they were late, and
2: they were, late. And they were, late. They were late
1: of course yeah. Yeah. well that's the ultimate the that's guy. the jets really where the joke is yeah yeah, yeah.
4: I did like that the colonel was carrying Eugene's letter. Like, he kept it in his pocket. Yeah, of course he he's carrying you know. Because yeah, he's like, we got
1: this letter.
2: <laughs> Where's the damn
1: monsters? <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were promised. We were you'd been here 20 yeah. minutes
1: ago, you wouldn't <laughs> see it. Yeah.
2: We brought tanks, God damn it.
3: <laughs>
2: anyway, I had to
3: ask. But
1: anyway, I was just joking. It's a joke. Yeah.
3: Um, so, Fred, I, if I have this right, was the budget around 12 million, is around ish, for the movie? Twelve five, 5, yeah. I mean, watching it again, um, I don't know why it never really dawned on me, but I mean, this, the movie obviously is made during the wonderful, you know, pre CGI era of magical practical effects. Um, I was just blown away at how much you guys did. I mean, because 12 million is still an ample budget for that time, but I mean, it's just full of effects. Was there any specific effects that was like the most challenging or, you know?
1: It's a great question. I don't know that anything was more difficult than anything else. Uh, you know, we had the best of the best, and that's where, again, I tip my hat to Peter because he had worked with Richard Edlund on uh, 2010 and and Stan, I can't remember how Stan came into the fold, but uh, obviously these were the top guys at that time, and it was before they sort of I mean, Edlund had done had done the Star Wars movies, so he was at the top of his game. Stan had yet to do Jurassic Park or, or, or Terminator 2. He did, he'd done the first Terminator, however. So and I think that may be one reason that I, that I wanted to hire him. But they were, these are the best, in the world and they were just sort of getting up to speed. So part of that was luck. The answer to the question is a lot of luck. Yeah.
3: Were there any films that inspired you effects wise that you use as sort of like, you know, inspirations for the way you want the effects to look or the tone of what you're going for?
1: So talking about practical effects or-, or Yeah, a, like, like,
3: I think like Ghostbusters, you know, like there's a certain tone or there's a lightness to monster squad and the effects it just it's, uh, well
1: um, uh, ghostbusters is clearly an influence on the movie and it was the same people that did those effects so i, I sort of hired those people and said you guys know what to do
3: mm-hmm. you think that's why the film i think uh, I, I mean i've met you know younger kids um obviously weren't even alive when the movie came out and they love it you know cause the fact that it isn't cgi and it's more real do you think that's why the movie partly you know still is so beloved by people
1: I don't know. It's a good question. I'd like to, I I would hope so. I mean, Mm -hmm. whenever I see something in a movie that I, that that looks real to me, Mm -hmm. that's better than, you know, a a CGI, you Mm -hmm. know, recent mummy movie or something where it's clearly Mm -hmm. just guys sitting at a a, a console. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm a -hmm. big fan of practical effects. I just think, I think they're better. I think we've gotten lazy. It's two things. One, we've gotten lazy. People want to sit in in a dark room in front of a, you know, digital screen rather than go outside and build things with their hands Um, but it looks so good sometimes that it's easy to convince yourself that that's the only way to do it Mm -hmm. but uh, to me it depends on the story you're telling and there are certain movies you know the exorcist which i think is one of the great you know it's in the top handful of greatest horror films of all time all of that was real all of that was practical dick smith and and uh, mechanical effects, and, and I don't think the film would work if, if you did the CGI. It just you'd know it was fake, and I think the audience know. The problem now is they don't mind, and younger kids don't know the difference. That's what breaks my heart, because they just don't know the difference. You know, they'll see John Carpenter's The Thing and go, "That looks That looks like puppets." I want to slug him. You look like a
3: puppet. <laughs> <laughs> this question has popped in my head, sorry, but Andre, as a young actor, does it help you too in your performance to have it be real on the set as opposed to a green screen?
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can only imagine the, the, the difference of now because I'm trying to think of a... I've,
1: I've, imagine <laughs> if the Wolfman, like when you, when you whacked him in the head with a baseball bat. Yeah, it wasn't there. Imagine if no. the Wolfman was a pole. Was a pole <laughs> with a right. piece of cardboard on him that said "Wolfman."
6: So, what you're saying is it would be exactly like you and McGregor in the prequels. That's all it is. Yeah. Exactly. That, that, although three of those movies are people talking to an empty box, uh, I, I absolutely think it's it, it's 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 uh, it's different. I, I feel for actors that have to deal with that and try to come up with something, even if it's not their fault. Um, and you know, I think you know an interesting combination that I, I was unaware of until. I started listening to him talk about but um, you know completely off topic but not off topic but in a different tangent there I I saw a big screening of Interstellar at uh, at the at uh, uh, Manchester Chinese Theater it was graves it I it was huge the cast was there and they they were explaining the difference of how Nolan does, all those visuals of the black hole of the planets of traveling that's all on a high def project and the actors are looking at that stuff and it, it, they timed the lighting with them to flash on. And it was like, so it was a little blend of some realism and some actual projection technique. And they were like, they made a huge difference because we've all done movies where we look at nothing. We don't know what we're looking at. How, how do you react to something? And I but thought
1: for that a was green interesting. Screen, for a while, green screen sort of took over. But you're right, Andre. That's, I mean, if you look at the uh, uh, the Matt Reeves Batman, which I really liked a lot, the nude, the Batman. And, and you got uh, him and, uh, and, what's her name, on the rooftop, and you've got the skyline. That's all an LED screen. So what we're doing now, and the Mandalorian is doing this yeah. as well. So right. what we're doing now is there are no green screens. They're actually standing in front of a real background that is actually a, a, a digital uh, projection. Hmm. But it's, it's back projection, so it's completely believable. And it actually, they're actually using that to light the scene. Yeah. I don't know if Chris Nolan spearheaded that, but yeah, that's... I don't know. I out. mean, the,
6: the timing seems like it's either, like, with the, you know, that. I, I, and I think that, I, I think as as a performer, that would be much, you know, less hard. <laughs> I don't know if it would be easier it'd be less hard. But, yeah, just walking around and looking at a stick... You know, yeah. is you know, and I was like, "What's this guy's name? Jar what? Jar something? Okay, whatever." And then I got a duck, and like, you guys are gonna fix this, right? You're gonna, it's gonna look good, okay? You promised me a look. Yeah, they didn't look good. Um, yeah, but you know, seeing there in front of these creatures and and watch, not only seeing them, you know, to to say your lines and deal with something like Duncan or or, or Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster, but I marveled at these guys working on the set, like moving Wolfman's ears and d- dealing with that. I would just, I would staff off to the camera and just watch that stuff happen because it's fascinating. And they were, these were the, like Fred's, these were the the, the young batch that, look, I've talked about this. I made a movie about some of the impact on everything of it. And a lot of it was these guys that made these these creature effects and how they invented it as they went along and brought old techniques into new ways and I've had more than one industry professional tell me that these guys and a big part of this film changed the game going forward for everybody. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, these young 20-something effects guys all end up, now they're the icons of the and own their own big studios mm-hmm. and they're, they're the go-to guys. And, you know, people that are in the effects world or writers, they marvel that, you know, it's like, wait, you can call up Steve Wang? I was like, "Yeah, you want to text him and say hi?" You're like, "Oh, you you know Tom Woodruff?" We're like, "Yeah." Do you know his son? They're like, "No." I'm like, "Oh yeah." I'm like, "You know these guys?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's <laughs> like, "They were like 22 when I was 13." I mean, this is, you know, I've known these guys for my entire life, and they're really super cool. But it is awesome to go and see what they've accomplished over the last 35 years because they are now the titans of the, of the industry, mm-hmm. and they created their own universe uh, back in the mid and late 80s. They did it.
4: What was uh, funny was when we were watching the screening recently was that when the Gill Man is going after Horace and his mouth is opening, people were looking for the actor under the mask because his mouth is opening wide. And all you see is the inside of the creature's mouth with what looks like just a hole to the back of the throat. There's no there's no mouth in there because I don't know if you guys have seen that still um, from the original Ninja Turtles. There's a still of Donatello or Leonardo laughing and you can see the actor's mouth underneath the turtle's mouth, and it's very terrifying because it's the terrifying it, it's, it's the most it's, scary, terrifying. And I'm, and I'm like, ever. that's that's it you know, awful. that's a special effects artist pioneer like Jim Henson handling that, and that slipped through. And you've got Monster Squad where you've got this guild man, guy in a full body suit from top to bottom, opening his mouth as wide as he can, and there's not there's no human, there's nothing that comes through and registers that this thing's human in, in any way. Um, even the Wolfman, the way his face moved and everything like that, it was just that's not a person in a suit. That's they somehow got the monster in this movie. They didn't go out and find artists to create them. They actually just found the monsters and brought them to
2: the movie.
4: (laughs) Uh, And it's, it's insane how, how great they look. Uh, I actually, my, I showed my niece this movie because she was kind of getting into horror and stuff like that. And I was like, this one's probably going to be pretty good for me to show her. And she really liked it. But we saw, I showed it to her the day before uh, Duncan was doing a convention because she was going to come with me to the convention so she goes with me and we're walking through and she's dressed up and she sees Duncan and she freezes and she's like, uncle, that's the monster. That, I don't like that guy. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> cause he was the only person recognizable out of makeup. And she, she just, she's, I'm like, he, but you know, he's not a monster in her life. And she goes, no, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> just, I'm trying to get her to go over to him. And then he, he sees me cause I wanted to meet him. He sees me with her and he's like, hi, how are you? And she's like, And she just ran off, and I'm like, "I'll be back." And I grabbed her, and he he was really sweet to her. He actually got her to come over. He he just had knee surgery, and he got down on one knee so he could be at her level because you know you guys are gonna be super tall. And he was talking to her, and he's like, "You look so beautiful. Would you mind if I took a picture with you?" And she goes you want to take a picture with me? And he's like, yeah, you're so, you're so pretty. And she's like, okay. And then all of a sudden it was like a night and day difference and her and Dracula were best buddies. And she reminded me of that for years that if I had, I give her any grief that she was going to sick Dracula on me because they were friends
6: now. So, you know, well that, that, that shows a little bit. Cause I get to see Duncan, you know, once or twice a year over the last you know few, now that he does appearances and, and people love to meet Duncan um a lot of times for zorro but mostly for what they consider oh, their favorite dracula and
2: well he's my he is my he favorite is he's <laughs> become my favorite. yeah yeah and what i love to... about what you did with that character fred is is you wrote him as sort. Of, he's very much the classical dracula with, with cape and everything you know, when you look at him you you were reminded of lugosi you're reminded of the the storied history of the character but he is a lethal, mean motherfucker <laughs> at the end of the day. This is not yeah. a friendly, romantic kind of fun dragon. This guy snaps necks, he blows people up, he mm. calls little girls bitches. <laughs> I mean, he's just like and Duncan Duncan he's... sold that so well. Yeah. And I, I was I guess it kind of leads, you know, into asking about the movie has a hard edge for a PG thirteen. There's some, there's some language, there's some character behavior. It's really quite intense. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I just w- w- was there ever any concern about that sort of thing, or
1: not for me. <laughs> I think, by the way, that that, that the Christopher Lee's uh, Hammer Dracula may have had a big influence on how we uh, how we envisioned uh, the role of Dracula for Duncan. But, uh, but yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. I think it's. I think actually that that performance seems to be getting better reviews now than it used to, which I really like. The people think mm. that he's you know one of the top Draculas, because uh, I was juggling a lot of monsters, so to have you know to have him pop like that is really great.
6: Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think Duncan, one you know great guy, nice guy, um, just has a thing. I mean, he just—I uh, the only—the only adjective someone asked me years and years ago to describe him. I said there's there's like a regalness to this guy just when you're standing in the room with him, because of his demeanor and his stature and you know just kind of his chiseled chiseledness, and um, you know and then even when he opens his mouth and, and engages with you and that's why he was able to kind of turn that around for you know your niece Chris and uh, I, you know I I, I watch him interact with people and he's just he's got this presence which is uh, which is really cool. And, well, when we
1: were casting, when we were casting, it occurred to me that Dracula has always been a leading man who happens to have this affliction. So that's the key: is hire a leading man who's willing to be, to be dark and have an affliction, and that's what that's what Dracula should do.
4: Yeah, and and that, that Dracula, I still remember because I was that was, I, that was pro- honestly I'm probably piecing this together. I was obsessed with Dracula when I was four, five, six years old. So that's honestly probably why my aunt took a look at that tape and went, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is for him. Uh, it uh, Watching him, you know, it, and I, it was there were no other Draculas as far as I was concerned at that point. You know, I didn't look. Uh, I mean, I love Christopher Lee. I think Christopher Lee did his great. I've always even preferred Christopher Lee over Bela Lugosi. I mean, you know, even though Bela Lugosi's great, too. Uh, but, you know, in my mind, it was like that guy's Dracula. You know it, it was just that's the dracula i wanted to be from that point on i didn't want to be the you know the romanian one or the one that doesn't really have any lines this guy's talking and he's he's kind of you know he's 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 threatening he's deadly he's but he's also kind of you know he's very cool looking and um and i still love the scene where he, he gets to phoebe with the amulet and he kind of just gently caresses her cheek and he smiles and he's like Oh, this is cute. This is what you guys sent to stop me. This is nice. This is going to be easy, you know? And, uh, I, I love that because there's such a sweetness about it, but you know, it's not, it's not sweet. There's no part of this that he's like, he, you know, the, 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 veil is coming down. He's going to do something with her. Yeah. He's going to do something bad to her in a second. Why yeah. is
1: everybody just no, you're so sweet. I'm going to eat your head off. In a minute. Right.
4: Right. Yeah. <laughs> there is one thing I do want to ask though, in regards to that, um, I noticed that when she, he doesn't. I mean, obviously, you don't want to kill a five-year-old or really do any bodily harm. But it seems like the Dracula can't hurt whoever's holding the amulet. Was that something? Because even when he grabs Sean, he doesn't like just take it from him. He starts to strangle him. Is he not? Is there? Was there some type of like unwritten rule that he wasn't able to take it if somebody was holding it? Or did you guys ever consider that?
1: Not for a second. I wish there was a novelization because that would be a novelization. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea. Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, just go do it. Yeah. it
5: um, uh, <laughs> I I just want to add on to what um, what Michael Felcher asked about the hard language that the kids use. Did the NPAA ever get involved with anything or make you change anything? Uh,
1: strangely not. And I don't I don't know why that is. I don't That's remember good. that we had to do any cuts whatsoever. We may have. I just don't remember that we did. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's a kind of a wonderful—you uh, know—we ducked a bullet in some strange way. Maybe it just wasn't on their radar or something. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs>
4: it, that actually happened I, with another film. <clears throat> um, there was a, a, a film called *Fright Night*, which I'm sure you guys might be familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. Columbia was fo- so focused on another project that was uh, i think it had olivia newton john and john travolta in it like mm-hmm. it was that movie where like you know g- two of art, a kind yeah something like that it was perfect <laughs> Two of a kind it was perfect so they were so oh, focused on perfect. that they pretty much left tom for holland man. and company alone for fright night which meant the mpaa also pretty much left them alone too so and he wasn't trying to make a gory film but he because he's been interviewed and asked like you know i think they just thought this thing was going to come and go so they didn't really care how it came out like they were just kind of like whatever yeah it's fine it's you know, maybe do a little trim here, but overall like, it ended up getting released with no cuts. And they had some you know, stuff that they thought they were pushing the envelope on uh, in terms of violence, but then they just were like, okay, whatever, it's fine. I think the general consensus was it all depended on the tone of the film too. If the tone was more lighthearted, then you were able to get away with a little more versus sort of a hard, harder kind of more vicious, visceral film um, mm-hmm. like a slasher film or something to that effect. So maybe that lends something to why uh, they didn't really bother you with the film
1: interesting it was also essentially a negative pickup you have to remember you know columbia we made fright night that was a major studio and and a lot of the the horror pictures were made by major studios we were released by TriStar, but we were made by a company called taft bearish which uh was only a business for a couple of years so it it may have just sort of you know crawled under the wire there.
4: Mm -hmm. now there, there were some scenes that were cut out of the film were there any choices made on what you guys felt like? Yeah, this isn't working. We got to cut this out or, and how were those decisions sort of made? Cause I, I do think there are some deleted scenes and I'm like, wow, this, you know, I get why they cut this, but I'm kind of curious why they cut that. Uh,
1: can you think, do you, can you think of any offhand?
4: Well, the, so, uh, the opening, the opening with Dracula being staged. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then... It didn't work. It didn't
1: work. Anything else? Uh, <laughs> there was a scene that we wrote that didn't that we didn't shoot, which uh, I just found the pages of recently because people refer to it sometimes. And it was, do you remember this, Andre? But you have it to tell was, me uh, what it is. It, 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 the kids are in the scary mansion, and this stranger shows up, this yes. man, and we yes. and we cast the part. We cast Liam Neeson yep. in this right. role, right? So Liam Neeson shows up, and he's like, "You're looking for the amulet, aren't you?" Yeah. And they're like, "How do you know?" And he goes, "He goes, it's very important, and I'll, I'll, I'll reward you heartily if you can help me t- you steer me to where it is." Right. And uh, essentially, it, it's it's Dracula in disguise trying to scope out how much they know before he kills them. So, the, and and the gimmick was, it was that Horace looks in a mirror and he sees that Liam Neeson's face is kind of floating in the air. Because he's put on a latex disguise (laughs) to to cover up the fact that he's Dracula. It was a wonderful idea, but we never even shot it.
6: Yeah, and that was there's, you know, being you know fortunate enough in the in the circle that read the original drafts or saw those pages uh, before we shot and as we were shooting, uh, that scene the the scene where they stake Dracula and put him in the wagon and then he gets away. That that's my biggest you know kind of uh, miss. Uh, but if it didn't work, it didn't work because that's why they blew it. Now, everybody asked, you know, the crawl yeah. and they blew it, which is as hilarious as I'll get out, and no one knows why. And then it was like, that's why. And they go, Got it. The yeah. scene in the man, the scene in the mansion was I also remember not only uh, you know, the guy, and I always joke, Fred, you know, because people ask me about that scene, I'm like, Yeah, we meet this guy, and I think he's like introduces himself as like, I'm Van Helsing's, you know great-grandson or like right. real or real he's like or like, a, or like a real estate agent or something and um, you know he's like you know I've got you know maybe you can help me out and he leads us you know sort of into the you know the catacombs of this weird house underneath because he can't go in the room he literally needs like one of us to go get it and bring it out of the room that's guarded with the garlic and the and the crucifixes and then he's gonna snap our necks and he'd be done with it um, and then, But what was cool about that larger scene, I remember envisioning it, was as we keep going, we, as we fell down or kept running, once, once we see that mirror and we know we're in trouble, we scatter and it turns into this awesome Scooby-Doo scene. And we're running all over this place trying to get out and it's another kind of like where the score would be kind of up-tempo and running around. And each level. Well, we still we have that in, we
1: still have that in the corridor with you guys being surrounded by the yeah. monsters and all three Yeah, sides. yeah, but it all before, it all just happened, happened on one hard, level, right? right?
6: So it got right. it, right. it it got compressed into that and it's still, you know, pretty rad. And uh but I just remember that scene being longer and you know it, which would have been really, really neat. Because what it really does, that scene and plus the wagon scene, uh, and you all you you all read and watch, you know, a ton of movies and you know, good stories are always and if you ever read or watch a Fred Decker movie or a Shane Black movie or script, you know, good stories are a series of setups and payoffs, whether it's in a scene, in an act, or the entire from the opening shot to the last. And um, I always, you know, knowing that you know, some of those original drafts, there's a lot of setups that we don't know are setups because we don't necessarily get the payoff and vice versa. And only Inside Baseball know that, but there's so many good, such good shit that Fred and Shane had on those original pages—that you're like, this movie <laughs> so much in here. And uh, you know, it, you know, obviously, movie making it gets whittled down, and, and you and you gotta, you know, get rid of some things. But um, I just remember being, you know, just loving all everything that was on every page, and um, not, even if it had nothing to do, you know, to do with my character or with us, there was a lot of a lot of cool I, stuff. I, in hadn't,
1: there. I hadn't thought about this until now, but you're right. Our, our joke in the opening uh, crawl is they blew it. Right. But what that means is essentially they had the opportunity to kill Dracula and they failed. So right. we see Dracula come out of his coffin. We know he's there on the premises. We see Van, Hels- Van Helsing and his guys come and storm the castle. And what they do is they just trigger the amulet and they get sucked into the vortex. So they did blow it, right? In a sense, right? And we've managed to cut out a scene that didn't quite work where they where they staked him, and I don't even know how he lived through that. So. Maybe, uh, maybe we realized it didn't make any sense well no it, it was it. just
6: what it was is you know they go up to do they stake to dracula because i actually have a production still over no Dum- i know they, against a tree yeah, yeah it's a it great shot. shot it's a great but shot uh, right and then they yeah. put him in a wagon and this is the other thing it's great because it's i i actually like it because they leave a red shirt behind to guard the body while they go do the castle thing oh <laughs>
1: that's the scene that doesn't work
6: yeah and yeah, uh, out of while he's sitting there by the campfire guarding the body of Dracula, three vampire brides come at him. He shoots one with a crossbow. The other gets him, he stakes her. And then the other one kind of gets on him and he's flanneling around. His hand lands on a stake, grabs it, kills her. He's like, ha ha, I made it. And But of course, he's unstaking Dracula, which comes back to life. And he's, you know, you know we, we, we assume that he dies and Dracula gets away. That's how I've always filled in the blank of how they blew it.
1: See, you're pitching it great, Andre, but I'm
6: still bored. You're still still for getting out of I'm it?
1: Still, I'm still bored. It's like, let's get to the let's get to the, amulet, yeah. get to the zombies coming out of the floor.
6: To- totally totally understand. But that's a, whole, that's a whole movie. Talk about setups and payoffs, because a yeah. lot of people have a lot of conversations about this. Right? You know, That scene with the brides if coming in becomes clear. is the setup, because at the end... Uh, when Rudy's on the street with the three vampire brides, it's the it's the payoff to that scene because it's almost it's the same it's the same action. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about setups and payoffs is the scene where Fred was just talking about where we don't see the guy Liam Neeson in the mirror. Uh, that is a payoff for a scary German guy saying, "If I was a vampire, I wouldn't have a reflection." And then we say, "Well, you know a lot about monsters. You're actually a cool dude." We get distracted by the Holocaust reference. Because that takes yeah. our focus, but
1: but it's a setup for the mirror it, it's gag a setup for
6: the mirror gag that back. we that we don't that we don't get, um, and that's just one of the things that I used to lament as a as a as a character playing or a person playing a character in this movie, and a lot of there was uh, there, there was some earlier stuff that really showed how smart and knowledgeable you know this, this 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 group of kids were in the shit that they know that no one else understands, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know that that's that's that's. If I missed any, like if I actually miss anything in the, it, it's that a little bit with the setup, with uh, you know really getting to know the and how much they know about what they know. That's a um, compelling
1: argument, but I would say this: that I think we get a real sense. It, in it works. Movie. Oh, that, yeah. that they thi- that they think outside yeah. the box in a yeah. way that only a monster nerd could. Right. Right. That's how they. That's how they win the day.
6: Oh, don't get me wrong. That comment was purely selfish because it was just more of us on camera <laughs> stuff. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> for story wise, it's still totally with weird. actors.
1: It's all about screen time. Uh,
4: I don't know about you guys, but I would sell my soul for a scene of the kids being chased through multiple doorways, running through the hallway in the Monster Squad. Out you know, like Scooby Doo? That's all I could picture when you guys were telling that story. Was them running
2: through <laughs> oh, different God. doors? Just
6: that, that's how I always that's how I always envisioned that scene. With the, with the arms you know, outstretched school, but, yeah. and they're
2: just running mm-hmm. through the halls. It wouldn't never have worked, but it would have been hysterical. <laughs> I, I just feel bad for that Liam guy. I mean, you uh-huh. get that role, and I mean, I don't know if he's yeah. going on to do anything else. I don't after <laughs> yeah. that. It, you know,
6: tough thing. Acting's a tough, <laughs> tough business. Tough business. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, some people make it, some people don't. Right. What are you gonna do? No, you know. You know there's other people that read for all other roles, you know, and they're 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 okay. They're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are some of the things. But like uh, 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 the scene in the you know the the bullying, this is one of the things with the character of Dracula in the movie that we see that I love because he goes, why is he? He's, you just mentioned it earlier. He's like he's so pissed off. He's so sinister. He's so yeah. mad. Yeah. He's mad because he couldn't do it in 1887 and had to get away only because some guy screwed up. So he got a little bit like, he's like, okay, I got, I'm going to walk away. So he's been walking, uh, walking around for 99 years, waiting for this moment. He's waiting for his moment to where the forces are balanced and he can take over. And there's a group of fucking kids in his way and he doesn't care. And he's tried to kill us multiple times. He instructs his minions to kill us. He says, fuck it. You can't do it. I'm going to blow you up. I mean that's a that's a bad guy, and yeah. it, my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the movie besides the air the pilots It's one of my favorite scene between those guys <laughs> is uh, I had, uh, David Profile just followed me on Instagram by the way. The um, was The, best? the uh, uh, is when Dracula pulls up in the house in his and he rips the door off his own car. That's one of my favorite things in this movie because <laughs> he he's done. Like, he's like, I'm running out of time. I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm running out of time. I'm going to... And it didn't look... It it looked like he actually... It was a great gag. It was a good gag. It it was fantastic. And I I didn't watch that scene being shot. And I saw that. I went, oh, shit. Uh, And then he goes and he he blows up a bunch of kids with fucking dynamite.
1: Well, first he blows up Stan Shaw. Oh, that's right. First he he blows up Stan Shaw. And And you um, see this cop who's been doing nothing but wisecracking and... (laughs) And being lovable, and he screams and dies. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But and, I also stand, uh, stand, stand, stand. Stan still remembers that. <laughs> yeah.
4: What I, I want to piggyback off that, Andre, because what I also love about that scene is right before he shows up, uh, Emily, the mother, has a candle lit, and the candle goes out. And that, you were to talk about pay up? Yeah. You know, pay off, set up it's the payoff. Yeah. It was exactly. a great. Setup, right? It was a great setup for that payoff, and one that I still think a lot of people unless they have seen it a few times don't pick up right away and i love those things cuz it gives you an excuse to go back and look again
6: and a lot of people miss that if they've never seen it in widescreen or on the dvd if they only saw it on hbo oh, god, or on yeah, the vhs you don't it, see yeah. the candle in the in the compressed version i've i've been fortunate enough over the you know it's god it's been you know since we started kind of reseeing this movie and people really loving to see it in a theater on 35 or either in the mm. in the big version people it's just so full there's so much there is a lot, this is a good looking film. I mean, you know, from the original concepts, the ideas, the writing, uh, but what's on camera is just every, there's nothing. It's so full, almost everything that you're seeing that it's visually compelling. And that's another reason why I think the pace of the movie and everything, you're like, there's no, there's no thing that kind of doesn't work. And it's, uh, it's every image is, is full. Uh, And those those are things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is like a, there's a Brad, there's a, brad may thing that if you can compare it's great just like there is a bruce broughton tone because silverado is my all-time favorite western <laughs> and
1: mm-hmm. uh, well and back I, to peter if i could just jump in i mean you know peter was a hero of mine and, and one of the reasons that i came to know him was that he was a hero of mine He read a script that i had done and he met with me and, and so we sort of became we, we knew each other and so when this script was finished and we were looking for a producer, I I said to my agent, you know, I would love for Peter Ames to do this, and he took to it and agreed to produce it, and I think he saw himself as that was his opportunity to, in the same way that Spielberg was mentoring directors uh, at Amblin, uh, you know, Toby Hooper, and so forth, and Bob Zemeckis, and so forth. So I think that was, he was looking at it that way. But he was very... Um, almost dictatorial about the way that the movie would be shot because he had developed a style at that point where he shot always in scope, he smoked up the stage so that it had sort of photo smoke, and what that would do is that would actually take the light and make it have sort of weight and mass. And I loved that look from Peter's movies, but I also loved it for this particular movie because it gave it that kind of gothic uh, period feel even in the contemporary scenes. So, so I, I can't stress enough how important uh, Peter was to the visuals of this movie. Yeah, and, it,
6: awesome. and, and, and like Fred mentioned, you know, people like Brad, all, all the people that worked on it, there was, I mean, they all contributed, you know, what they do, so, and, it, and it really is. And after you, uh, you know, usually when you, when you watch a movie, you, you get stuck and you're just paying attention to yourself. And if, if you're smart enough, you're like, why don't you watch something else? Like, pay attention to something else. And over the years, I started, you know, if I was around or we'd watch some scenes or sitting down, I, I would try to watch everything else but me. And then it got to be the preferred way to watch mm-hmm. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's, there, like I said, there's great stuff that you find. And there's, there's just some really cool stuff. And it's full. It's just full. It's full. Uh, the, the VHS box, I love the artwork of the poster. Um, Sans, yeah. oh. Sans oh. one thing. But it's so iconic, and you can recognize it across a room. And uh, I mean, it's been a while. I've signed a lot of stuff that says Monster Squad on it, and everyone's awesome, except for the Olive Films Blu-ray. That cover's awful. Um, but oh, um, no, it's it, uh, no, it's really Ryan. bad. It's uh, it, Ryan Lambert <laughs> says I look like a, a dead Hillary Swank on that uh, on that photo box, <laughs> uh, and that pose is just kind of weird but uh, that VHS is is a piece of iconography in and of itself to monster squad fans and people covet when they have that box uh, especially the domestic one the UK one's actually pretty bitchin too with the hand and the red kind of uh, you know border but that, that that VHS tape people they bring that out with reverence and um, it, it's a very cool thing to have yeah i don't know, and then and look all the speaking of posters i, I think that poster is the, the best one uh sans it's it's missing the hero of the movie that character is not on the on the poster of the movie um but uh, the Australian one has it which is kind of cool too but I love all the international posters and, and mm-hmm. I actually did something very rare for me I don't I don't collect things I don't buy things um I will buy things for other people but one of the giant Italian one sheet prints was for sale I actually bought it just because I think it's so oh, I yeah. think it's so bonkers and uh it's sitting at my friend's house in LA right now <laughs> and I'm, it's in a box and I'm like I'm gonna go get that here and because uh, I, I, it's it's just it's absolute bonkers and um, I, yay Italians.
4: <laughs> it was released as Monster Buster somewhere, and I remember seeing that artwork. And I think it's, it's, it's the Germany. vortex and the monsters yeah. are swirling yeah. through and the kids are at the bottom.
1: Yeah, it was Germany or Eastern yeah. Europe, something like that. Yeah, yeah I think I Monster, Busters. Yeah.
4: Monster Busters yeah. is it. Uh, and then there was one where it was just... Monster
2: Busters, I can't imagine what they were trying to play no, off there. No, not at there. all.
4: <laughs> no. There was another one where there was a shot, where it, it was a painting of a street view, and it was from a clock tower down. All you see, oh, the so overhead it's... shot. That's yeah. A, yeah. That's, uh, I
6: think that's, that's cool. Spain. Yeah. The shadows. That's a
2: really that's Spain, pretty poster, but it's one of those ones where it's like, what an odd angle to right. take. And yeah. what's actually, enterprise.
4: the military is in that poster. And they were late, so yeah. that poster's yeah. lying. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs>
1: you know. It was
6: just so bird's eye that they hadn't gotten there yet. They were so far Oh, above. yeah. Right. I mean, they, were, they were in route. They were in yeah. route. It's a cool yeah. poster
1: if you know the movie.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, if you don't know what the but movie is. But it doesn't is, sell the movie know. at all. No, not at all. No, it doesn't yeah. at all. No, not
6: at but, all. And no. the. <clears throat> the original domestic poster, you know, there has been a lot of other not just fans, but actually filmmakers and stuff that have they have uh, referenced that poster uh, when they were uh, had the input in designing their own films posters. And James mm-hmm. Wan James Wan mentioned that one time, I think. Uh, wow. uh, and that, it's it's just interesting how even little bits like the poster, or the art, or dialogue or wardrobe, uh, has, you know, has influenced uh, with it, you know, with this film. Uh, you know, has influenced so much stuff going forward, and um, that, that's that's like I said, that's just another part of uh, what makes it really cool to be associated with. Awesome.
4: So, um, you guys get the movie done. It's in the can. It comes out, and it doesn't quite land the way that I think the anticipation would have led to believe. But then it becomes I'm just putting it mildly. <laughs> but then it becomes this. I mean, cult phenomenon over the years. Um, when did you guys realize there was something
6: to this?
1: What was it gone, right? Two
6: thousand seven? Well the when first was the
1: Alamo Draft House.
6: That was spring of two thousand six. And they sold out uh, they invited us to come do some kind of retro cast reunion screening at the original the first Alamo Draft House in downtown Austin. And that was the first time we had all seen each other in a while and we were like, okay, I guess we're going to Austin. Is anybody gonna come? And um, you know, kudos to Eric Vesby and, and Tim League in the Alamo. They found a print. Two guys in North Carolina actually owned a thirty-five millimeter print that they had got from New Zealand <laughs> and showed Monster Squad in thirty-five and two two sold out crowds. Mm-hmm. And we stayed inside autographs and did a Q and A and that's that event is what lit the spark. That we thought, honestly, I don't you know, I'm I'm not speaking for Fred, but I thought and, and, and right like, that this was neat. Oh, this has got a little got a little tension. Uh, this is cool and then a year later we we're, we're co-headlining Monster Mania in you know in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And Michael's there and we're we're like, "Wait, we're doing a DVD." No, we're not. Who's Michael Felcher? Like, what? We're going on <laughs> wait, yeah. what?
2: Who are you? You're doing a thing? That was And It was fast. It, it was really yeah. fast.
6: And uh, uh, we said, "Oh, yeah, so we're getting yeah. a little bit maybe this oh, if we get another summer out of this, like, oh, this will die down." This will die down. It hasn't died down. <laughs> It, 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 it keeps, it keeps going and, um, but yeah, you know, uh, I don't think anybody would have, would have assumed that. I, I think that's part of, uh, kind of the awe in the, of the dynamic, but you know, if you're as I'm in the middle of all of that constantly and, um, you know, to, to see what that impact did and, and how the people responded and what it has done and not died. And the reason it hasn't died, uh, has been very, very fascinating. But yes, would we have liked it to have been much bigger in in August of 87? Yes, there are reasons it didn't happen, um, but it had nothing to do with the film.
2: I just remember Monster Mania, because when Lionsgate put the Blu-ray or the DVD into production, it was very late. It was very quick, but it was late in terms of getting any prep for that Monster Mania show. I literally found out like on the Tuesday we had a green light And there was no time to contact anybody, so let's just go there and tell them all there. And it's like, hi, guess what? Movie's coming to uh, DVD. Are you ready to go? And everyone was like, huh? I was like, what the... Okay. And so we had the busiest weekend. We put all that stuff together. It was so much fun. And just to hear everyone's stories, and it was just amazing. And you guys were just talking about how these Alamo screenings had just happened. And we're like, we didn't know. We didn't know that this anyone even was able to see it because it had been unavailable for so long yeah and then all of a sudden people are showing it to their kids these battered copies on vhs are still floating around out there and it was just like it was really fascinating just to see you guys were all kind of wide-eyed like what's going on here you
6: know well well, i think i think a lot of the after that spring of oh six screening um you know the 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 crowd and the q a's asked like where's the you know where's our blu-ray like we don't we don't have this movie mm-hmm. except for on you know a, a blank tdk or max max tape that That's we got right. off hbo yeah. or our coveted vhs that we just stole from you know vision video down on the corner <laughs> and, and and fred answered it, he said there isn't one like there's not going to be one unless I mean it's up to you. Like write letters. Like send like mail I think you said I think you told someone to like like put a brick in an envelope and mail it to a studio or something and say, <laughs> you know, like, it's the only way they're going to respond.
1: Dear army guys. Dear <laughs> army guys. Yes, now if you had done that shit, it would have come on, it would have the same reaction. The,
2: the, fun, the funny
6: the, Eugene. The, the funny thing with that that's being there are people that did that. And uh, people actually wrote those letters because now there was the Internet to where Monster Squad fans could connect and chat rooms and websites. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when Fred told people to write letters, I mean, look, one of one of the biggest Monster Squad fans out there that's super cool, Sean Robert, uh, he actually wrote like 60 or 65 independent letters posing as different people that wrote the same <laughs> letter. And some of them he wow. wrote like, make this DVD quick. You know, in crayon on a on a on a kid's paper. He wrote like sixty. <laughs> wow. He said, I, "I wrote 60, 65 different letters as different wow. and mailed them." I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and he did it on
1: different uh, papers. Yeah, I think he just I don't know <laughs> if he was pretty, yeah. like
6: came up with sixty five aliases or not, or just wrote them all as Sean Robert. But um, uh, you know, it, it's 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 it was that kind of you know uh, inspiration and catalyst of you know Fred standing on stage with a microphone, literally. That Alamo Draft House was not like the Alamo Draft House. That wasn't an attic of an other building that looked like you were in someone's garage. <laughs> and, it was a good uh, theater. I think
1: you're underselling. It It was a good theater. Oh, thing. it was but fantastic.
6: Think, I'm just saying it was upstairs and kind of not. It's not as slick as the like the big uh, 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 ground buildups that they have now because you know some of them are you know amazing. That just thing to was, backtrack
1: a, for a, yeah, that was to awesome. backtrack for a second. My, my, uh, the the big moment <clears throat> for me at at the Alamo screening in 'o six was we were all flew there. We were going to get up on stage. We were going to show the movie. and We knew that there were fans, and they said uh, we're doing a second screen. Well, why? Well, because we sold, sold we sold out the first one, and then we ended up selling selling at this, the second one. And I, where were these people in 1987
6: They were. Uh, well, I, that kind of th- th- yeah. Th- they got. They got lost in the shuffle. They they had not yet been born. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of leads into my next question, which is really about the people who are embracing this movie now and not just the people who were around when the movie came out. There are subsequent generations that have been introduced to this film by their parents, and they're introducing it to their kids. So the people that are coming up to you at conventions and festivals now weren't around when the movie was even... I mean, there's people who were just getting introduced to it on Blu-ray DVD from just 10 years ago. So it's interesting how this has become a generational thing. And has your relationship with the movie itself changed at all in the subsequent years? Because there had to have been an enormous amount of disappointment that this movie didn't connect when it first came out. I'm sure you both took it to heart in certain ways and, and maybe in ways that were very, very, difficult for you to kind of you know figure out it's like this was supposed to be a big thing and it wasn't does that dissipate over the years the more love that the movie is being shown in like say the past 10 to 15 years
1: i wish i could say that um the disappointment has dissipated i really do but uh It doesn't, you know, you go to Hollywood to, to, you know, you dream of being a filmmaker and you go to Hollywood and you get your Director's Guild card and you stand in front of a bunch of great actors and technicians and do what you do and you do it with passion and love and you hope people love it. And and, and this is in Andre's film, I think. He depicts this very elegantly and and, and in my interview I say this, it's, it's... it's it just feels a little too little too late because there's a lot of movies that I could have if that movie had been a big hit, if everybody who loves the movie today had gone that opening weekend, I would have made ten movies since then, or five or whatever it is. But I but I would have had you know a different career, and I can't you know would have could have should have I can't I, I can't say that that doesn't disappoint
6: me. And and to add on that because you know obviously we have. You know two different relationships you know with this movie and uh you know understands fred you know understand fred's and you know getting to sit down with fred for the documentary and and actually go through that was uh you know in here and and get that story was you know it, it it makes the documentary because fred's interview becomes that through line almost of the whole the whole story but <clears throat> the almost lost my train of thought here but uh it's such an interesting reason that we got to interrogate a little bit while making Wolfman's Got Nards of why this movie didn't do well in the box office. Was it the, you know, parallel or bifurcated slash competing marketing campaigns that they had that didn't make sense? Was it the rating? Was it the fact that, um, you know, the reviews weren't great and people actually read those and, and paid attention? Uh, did the parents not want to go to a PG theater movie and accomp- they wanted to drop their kids off at the mall and they go to the movies instead of having to accompany them. I, th- I think it's five or six things that conspired at the time. And one of them, as is evidence over 20 to 25 to 30 to 35 years, is that this movie, uh, and Fred mentioned, if you, if they had gone that opening weekend, it would have been different. Yes, but also if whatever bar or number that a studio or a movie chain said, whatever title has to make reach this or it's gone. If they had waited just a little bit for those kids to go back to the schoolyard on Monday and Tuesday and said, I just saw this movie. I'm going again on Saturday. you got to come with me. And then when they went to the mall to go see it, it wasn't there. Mm. And if they had allowed that word of mouth or that that just to, to, to breathe for a minute, it would have been a whole different story. Mm. And mm. it... Because these are the stories that I I get told over the last 15, 16 years. And they go, I went. So when that didn't happen, I spent a year or two talking about this movie that no one had seen or heard of. And they didn't believe me that it was real. And then I finally got on a VHS or I ripped it off HBO and we passed it around the cul-de-sac. And now it's everybody's favorite. I indoctrinated everybody in my neighborhood. And now they're all part of the squad. Problem is the movie's already gone and everybody's moved on. The problem with that is, is I've, I've said dozens and dozens of times in interviews and on podcasts that what's really unfair is that arbitrary, whatever that number, some guy in a, with a tie at a studio or whatever says, you've got to reach this or it's out and make room for the next one. Cause they don't understand the dynamic of kids and talking to their friends is, would have been a big, big difference. We, as the cast... And as the writer director didn't get to celebrate in that. And so that's unfortunate for us. But Fred Lee, that I always say it's also unfortunate for everybody else, because we didn't get to see those five or ten films. And I think that's what we miss. That's what we miss. Yes. And yeah. that's what that's, that's what you're, I'm not unfortunate about Moshwanua. No. I mean, there's like if you knew and in the brand of what could have, but that's how that I think it's an unfair barometer of success. I think it's a bad definition. I think it's different now because now someone can go like this and go, "Holy shit, this was rad!" and five million people can start it and go, "You're right, this was rad." Right. We had that. It just happened in the schoolyard and the, mm-hmm. and the cul-de-sac. It just took. Too, it just took longer. And uh, but I, I wish those other we get to see those other movies.
1: From a personal perspective, I mean, it, it was the beginning of my career. I only made one other movie, and <clears> that was barely a blip on the radar. You know, The Wizard of Oz was reviled when it came out.
7: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a Wonderful Life tanked, but but Victor Fleming and Frank Capra had bodies of work prior to those movies and continued to work after that. So, had this been my sixth or seventh film, it wouldn't have been a, it would I would have survived easily. It's just you know, two bombs and I'm surprised they even got to make a third mm. one.
4: Mm. I I think to a certain degree too and, and and I know this probably doesn't help in any way but I think if the movie was a huge hit I don't know if it would necessarily mean as much to the people who found it because I think everybody found this movie or it found them in a time where they needed it. It wasn't something that's they came across organically. It lovely. just...
1: that is that's, That really means a lot to me. That, that's very lovely. It's true. It's really true. It, it means more.
4: Because I mean I know for me you know what it means to me if I hadn't found it um I don't know what my life would have been like you know cause this movie gave me a sense of like I said earlier there are people out there like me that like this stuff I just gotta wait to find them and I'm sitting here with three of them so mm-hmm. I mean if it was a big blockbuster it might have come and gone you know and then through the years maybe people would have caught on to it again or remembered it or whatever um
1: and how many movies, how many blockbusters are, have been sort of shoved down our throats? Here it is, it's gigantic, it's got yeah, this right. big star and everybody goes, you know. Um, I haven't seen the new Top Gun, people seem to love it, Yeah. but it, it's yeah. kind of like you can't not because they're telling you you have to, Right. whereas yeah. this movie sort of withers on the vine and finds some people and then slowly but surely, I love what you said, Chris, is that slowly but surely people discover it and, and take it to heart. And that's something you can't sell. That's Mm -hmm. not something you can shove down somebody's throat. It's just, it's organic.
6: Yeah. And and that's exactly when people ask, you know, why, you know, what was the reason that you thought about making a documentary? And it's that exact reason. Because after it didn't die off, this resurgence or this, you know, kind of whatever you want to call it, um, I kept hearing those stories. Like, we kept hearing those stories as a group. People kept telling me that individually. And I thought those stories, eventually, after hearing them so many times, even though they were from individuals, they were very similar. And I was like, There's, this is a unique thing. And I don't see this a lot with other movies. And then after it didn't die off and those stories got larger and stronger and that foundation of fan base kept growing and then second generation started happening, I was like, I said, those stories are a story. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with me or the movie. Right? I think those stories and this impact this movie had on these people as fans. And then it grew into what the impact this movie had on everybody, not just fans. The people in it, the people who made it, uh, the people who worked on it, and the people who saw it. Um, that, that's an interesting, unique dynamic that I haven't really seen. Look, we all have fan- There's fandom. There's fans. There's people love. This is my favorite movie of all time. Um, you know what? I love Silverado. Great movie would I go to a convention and stand in line to, you know, get, I mean, I've I've met, you know, the cat, but I, it's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would, it may just be personal, but I I see a lot of fans do and they don't, they interact with people differently than they interact with us because of this movie. And I thought that was interesting. And what, what I was trying to tap into to try to understand. And then as we've been experiencing this resurgence and Fred along for the ride, you know, for a a good part of it, uh, that's a completely different connection and you know selfishly there was a little a little bit in my mind that i wanted to show in these stories that we've been hearing for years that fred may not see or hear all the time and i wanted to put that in there a little so there's a little bit of that driving at home that this has made an impact on people yeah we've all liked it being an 87 but there's something here that no one else has done mm-hmm.
2: i i wanted to say andre uh, you know i Coming off it offers, the, you know, I make documentaries and featurettes and commentaries for a living, and Monster Scroll was a big, big deal for me, getting to work on that back when I did because I was just getting started around that time. And you know, I did this multi-part documentary, and it was well-received on a DVD that ended up outselling <laughs> what Lionsgate expected. They weren't expecting it. It was the highest-selling catalog title they had that yeah. year. They weren't expecting mm-hmm. that. They knew, the people over there knew, knew what the movie was, and they valued it. Um, And then I heard you guys were doing this other documentary. And I'm like, okay, well, what's that going to be about? And when I finally saw it, and also, to be fair, I'm in it a little bit too. You were (laughs) gracious enough to ask for an interview for me. Um, You did something in that documentary, which I think most documentarians don't do. On the surface, yes, it's about Monster Squad and the fandom and so forth and its evolution as a, a film that's been rediscovered but your documentary is also really about something else that's going on underneath. It's about the art and the passion of the people who made it and their reconnection to something that was initially a failure but has instead found a whole nother life and you track the film's, you know, failure and success through the hearts and minds of the people who created it and were part of it and then later their interactions and their revelations that, oh no, they're this this did find its audience it didn't find it in the way we would have liked and there will always be regrets but there's something of value in what's going on right now and your documentary really captured that and it was i was especially when it came to you know there was when fred was talking about his disappointment i could tell it really still hurt him and that made me feel really sad cuz i was like oh man i, I you know that maybe a part of he doesn't get over something like that and then also the part where you talked about brent and the fact that he he missed you know tragically he died very, very young but he missed out on all this he never got to see all this you know resurgence and he's you know the heart of that movie in many ways and so you did a wonderful job with that doc and i i hope that uh people really get a chance to watch it and and enjoy not just the parts about you know you know the, the making of this movie and you know all that and all so forth, but the emotional undercurrents that ran through the people who made it, and that you captured that very 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 well. Uh, well,
6: one I appreciate. It. Thank you for seeing it. One and two. Thank you for that. Uh, I didn't make that film by myself. I had a, a really awesome team of people that were uh, th- that made sure all of that came through and added most of that you know through their own you know kind of you know cellular structure you know led mostly by mm-hmm. my man, Henry McComas and and Wes, and, uh, Wes Caldwell and, and Aaron Kunkel and, and, that, and that team at Pilgrim Media Group. And that was one of the, 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 the talking points, that we knew that we was there. How do we find that out? We want to tell that story. That was very important to me to bring that in there. And, it, and like I said, it, I always kind of used to talk about the, the documentary after it was over and people had seen it. It's like it's not what we really made a point. of. It wasn't a fan service jerk-off documentary. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a um, where are they now, Doc, although we have some of that because you like to update some things and see people's faces. Uh, And it wasn't a um, making of Doc, although there's a little bit of that. But it was really, you know, the the original core was how can, it doesn't matter what film, but how can something like a film impact someone and affect their life in one way or another? It all happens to be through the lens of Monster Squad scope. And we luckily have this range of experience with that. And and like I said, I mean the the the, the best part of it is that 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 Fred wanted to sit down and and, and actually go through that and, and tell it and be open and, and 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 honest about it. And it's it's Henry McAdams' favorite thing he's ever shot in his life uh, is sitting in Fred's house. And uh, you know uh, Henry loves to tell people. he Goes if you notice, we start in the daytime. And Fred's in the back and there's a skylight. And then by the end of his interview, it's nighttime. And I'm like, why is that so important? He goes, because we got to stay in Fred's house all day. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but there was good stuff. And um, it would have been a completely different, you know, kind of uh, story if, if, we did, if we didn't have that. But I think it's super, super important. And look, it was, it was very, that's a weird position, you know, for me to be to you know, to, to want that or know what's there and find out what's there. And then once we knew what we had and how that's we, that's what u- filmmakers do. Yeah, and then the kernel. and then how, yeah. and then how we used it, uh, and and I wanted to make sure Fred, you know, saw it and understood where it was coming from. And I remember, I you know, I met Fred for a drink, and I was like, okay, look, because uh, I think someone, I think either Shane had seen it or you know, and I was like, how are these people seeing it? And I realized our publicist was sending our Vimeo link around to people like, don't do that, <laughs> and. Um, uh, but it was cool people that were seeing it and actually were responding to it. And I asked Fred, I was like, look, I'd really like you to come to our big West Coast premiere, which is at Beyond Fest, at the Egyptian Theater. They're doing a big double screening. That's kind of the thing. They're doing a Q&A. If you don't want to go, you don't have to go. I'd like you to see it with the crowd, because I've seen this doc play with people, and it, it's a thing. And But if you want to see it ahead of time, uh, I will give you the link. And uh, Fred... Chose to 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 go seat at the Egyptian, and I hope that was a. a, a I trusted you. Yeah, you know. I trusted you. And I appreciate that because I think uh, I think it I think it turned out uh, pretty good. That was a big night. That was awesome.
1: <laughs> that's fantastic.
6: <laughs> and uh, the place went wild after, and it was um, that. That's what you you know. That's what you want you know when when you're putting something out. And look, I knew I it was—I it was, knew I was cheating a little bit because I knew what we had because we had festivaled for four months leading up to that, <laughs> right? and, and we had all over the place. We had great response. This it was different whole team this time. Yeah, yeah. This, this was different. This was a little different, so it, it had a little more weight to it. And um, I hope Fred enjoyed that night, and I hope he enjoyed the doc. And I'm glad you guys have seen it and enjoyed it because it's about those impacts and, and Chris's story and of where they find something no matter what movie it is. And if you're not a Monster Squad fan or ever seen it it still makes sense because they're like I remember what movie you're talking about to my life it's the movie mm-hmm. my dad take me to at the drive in or it's the it's the movie my aunt bought on oh. VHS for me and brought it home and I was like I, if she had never brought that I never would have seen and those sto- those are remarkable stories and it doesn't matter what movie it is something right. can impact you like that and that's what we were trying to go for
7: yeah
2: i mean you could have used more of my interview but look at the end of the day i'm not going to get all that stuff <laughs> oh, you Lord. know it, it, but you know it it's it, it's good yeah. it's, 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 it's really good man it's good i just saw the documentary
4: it. uh fairly within the last year um i it was just one of those things i just you know i it was on my radar i wanted to see it and then it was out of stock on amazon for a really long time and then all of a sudden it popped back up and i bought it immediately i was like okay it's back i got to get it now and uh i loved it i thought it was fantastic it's a it's a great piece on the film and the fan base it has and the entire time i'm watching it i'm like well if only i had known him then i would have talked to him i would have loved to have been in this <laughs> <laughs> look
6: there's a there's a there's a lot of people have come up to me and henry himself when we're on the road or it was like why wasn't i in the documentary <laughs> i want not ask why i know why but i wish i could have yeah. been like that's my yeah. and there were people we had on camera that aren't in the documentary because this thing changed you know if anybody's made anything you know and you know it it changed i think henry said fundamentally completely about six times as as he was putting wow. it together uh just based on what we kept experiencing as as we went along
1: well, i want to hear that liam neeson was gonna be in the documentary <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it should have been part then, of the. but what? then you decided not to do that interview. And so it's, what yeah. we should have done. Well, the
2: memory of losing that role still really haunts me.
6: What we should have done is a very meta joke. Because I, I, I like the whole doc. I, I love what it came out to be. And, and like I said, it's that's not all me. That, it really is Henry uh, uh, you know, of what you hear and see. Uh, but at the end, I love the, the the fun stuff at the at the closing credits. Because especially, my th- you know, uh, Wes Caldwell made the thing with the shirt. And he goes, I, I made a little something as a, as a gag. I don't know if you're going to like it or not. And he showed it to me. I said, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. We have to, where are we using that? Because the movie's audience is like, we have to use it in credits. What I thought of, your, uh, you know, uh, about a year later with Liam Neeson, I was like, if boy, if I could have just got him and done a gag... Because I did a little gag with Sean Robert when he brings up Goonies, and I go, cut, and we just walk off set, and the camera, like, drops. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but, because that's just kind of fomenting. There's no Goonies, Monster Squad rival. There's just not. They're two completely different movies. The Goonies were great. They're great at saving the neighborhood from a developer. It's perfect. Um, we saved the world from fucking Dracula, so it's a whole other different thing. But, uh, (laughs) um... I would have loved to have it the very I would have closed off the credits and the whole total runtime with like Liam Neeson sitting down like bloop, like made it total like BTS. And like, so Liam, <laughs> tell me about your thing and then just out. And just like, Oh, actually we're not doing this now and then just walk out. That would have been I would have gone to whatever set he's doing if he allowed me to do that. That would have been that would have been but, documentary. But she,
1: but, you know, you, you got mad at me because I did the, the, the payoff without the setup of the setup without the payoff. So throughout the film, you have to refer to the Liam Neeson thing, yeah. but then nothing. Right. right. You need more of the movie, more of the movie. It's right. hard. It's a great documentary. You meet these people. A little <laughs> bit of Liam Neeson, a little more and more and more of the thing, and then right at the very end, you do what you just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can just picture
4: um, yeah. I can just picture Liam mm. Nielsen has a picture
6: of Fred Decker on a dartboard that he
4: keeps throwing <laughs> darts <sacs. laughs> at opportunity what
6: my
2: career could have been what it could have been did he not been. see me in
6: Kroll did he not see me in Kroll
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was an Excalibur god damn it <laughs> no
6: but I, I appreciate the con word it's, it was it was uh it was uh, an interesting, fun, uh, very personal project to work on. Um, I lucked out with the people that I did it. The original concept was not what we ended up with in my mind. Uh, and I, I'm super grateful for that. And a lot of people, you know, a very small group of people had their hands on this documentary. And uh, nothing, no one on camera, uh, sans a couple people because they're they're for context, very few. But no one says anything on camera or even worked on this movie that didn't have a connection in some some way, shape or form. Even... Even the score, you know, in this documentary. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the score with some of this cool, creepy music is made by a fan who's a composer and has always wanted to make stuff for TV and film. And mm-hmm. I met him on the road at a screening. And I said, well, send me a couple of your tracks. Yeah. And like the first two were kind of campy and fun. And the third one was really bitching. And I, sent, I said, we, call this guy. We got to use this. Mm-hmm. And that guy lost his mind. He goes, do you want more? And Henry's was like, send us more. And then if you also look at it, most of the soundtrack is from Ryan Lambert's bands.
3: And oh, nice. so, you know,
6: we're, we're keeping it like no one touched this movie that didn't have a that didn't really have a have, have family only, with it. <laughs> And uh, and that's kind of what it's all about, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to reach. But uh, yeah, it, it I mean, it's you know, the final product surpassed all expectations mm-hmm. of just just what we had. And um, I mean, there's faces that we would have loved to have on camera. Or I would have loved to have on camera. Um, but don't know if it would have changed it and might not have used it. I mean, it'd be great bonus.
2: I didn't feel bonus. lacking in anything. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just with... I, it
6: didn't, because it, it, it works out. And um, But there's some big celebrities that we had lined up or wanted or couldn't and timing-wise, and there's some big faces, you know, as, as if you're making a documentary that you, you know, that's sort of the draw. You want some names and faces. And uh, some of them came out of the woodwork after. Uh, some we just couldn't <laughs> get. And there's, there's, some, there's some big faces and names that are giant Monster Squad fans. And uh, we have some in there, which is great. But um, that's the only thing I missed, But they would have probably been bonus features anyway.
4: Yeah, we'll find out that like
6: Steven Spielberg is a fan of Monster <laughs> Squad. <laughs> that's okay. I'll take
5: uh, I'll I'll take uh, I'll take Ryan Gosling. I'll yeah. take Ryan Gosling. There you go.
7: Yeah. Oh, really, yeah.
5: really. Oh, that's yeah. All right. Has the um, resurgence in the Monster Squad's popularity reunited any uh, interest in like a reboot or a sequel? TV series
1: not particularly but um <laughs> it's certainly something that we would think about i feel like right now is not the right time for it because of stranger things and uh the fact that you know you never want to feel like you're following up something else you don't want to feel like you're an also ran like you're ripping something off so it's 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 a Showbiz is very difficult. Like it, it's tricky because you can sense a, a need from the audience. You can sense that they want something, but do they want it for the right reasons? Mm. So ultimately, you know, we would have to come up with something that's that's unique and special, like the to the degree that the first movie was, and whether that's a streaming series or. A series of movies or a single sequel I don't know what that is but Mm. uh, it's certainly something to think about
7: Mm.
1: the other the other thing that 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 kind of throws a monkey wrench into it is the it movies which uh, which is uh, like Stranger Things you know you got a bunch of kids and the scary thing that they have to battle and you know I just think doing it at a time when all that when when other people are doing it it just it seems less special to me Mm-hmm. But by the same token, if you wait until the, uh, the arena is clear, then you may not have the same uh, amount of, of interest in it. So it's, this, is the, this is the tricky part of trying to decide what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Because you never know when the right time is. It's all about timing. As, there, as our movie proved, it's all about timing.
4: Yeah. If uh, a sequel could have materialized if this film was a big hit back then, would you have used different monsters, do you think? Or would you have brought back the same crew?
1: Oh, we definitely need new monsters. I don't know which ones they would be, but uh, we would definitely have to need new monsters. But otherwise, you're just making the same movie again.
4: Yeah, I thought that could be interesting to see who you guys would have would have thought of. Because I've even thought like, who could they have brought in again um, in a in a, in a different way? Uh, you know, and it and where would it go, and how would it how would it have been different um because there's a lot of movies out there that people uh, are screaming for sequels for and you know some of them i think are just good as the one-off you know you've you've done this great amazing thing go do another great amazing thing but leave this thing alone because this worked because everything clicked into place and if you do another one that doesn't happen a second time then now everyone's disappointed Uh, i
1: think there's real wisdom in what you're saying i absolutely agree 100 (laughs) percent
6: No doubt.
4: I I also think
1: in in the
6: early days, you know, Fred and Ryan and I and Ashley and I, we would sit around talking about that. And uh, I don't know if it was, I I think it was Fred. And and we just started, you know, coming with It's like, yeah, there's a sequel. It's a Monster Squad sequel. But it's just sitting in a diner.
3: The whole movie is just (laughs) just sitting in a diner talking
6: (laughs) and like you know no, see, drinking coffee is, I would like and that. then i'm like I really but then you don't that, know right? what's you you know. going on around i was like oh so it's sort of like hard eight the short it's like we're just in this diner in between la and vegas <laughs> or, or any town usa and it's just like right. wait what is uh you know this is monster squad this year. um <laughs>
2: it's monster squad yeah. meets hard right. eight i really yeah. like that's a like great i would totally <laughs> right i mean it's
6: so out it's great but uh and you know the there's no monster.
2: But uh, yeah, Sean's Sean's in his fifties, going. I I hunted monsters when I was a kid, yeah. and it was all downhill after that. <laughs> okay. can, I, can I get
6: some more cream in this coffee? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think it's an And look, everybody shoots sequel ideas around. There's some great, you know, concepts, and it's got. It would have to be different. But I, I, you know, one of the because there's a lot of things to do in you know if you have Monster Squad universe or whatnot. But uh, kind of. Talk about setup and payoffs, guys. Um, You know, full circle on uh, that concept is one of my favorite ideas that I want uh, Fred to do is, uh, he may not know this, since Dracula gets away and he had to wait and walk around for 99.9 years until our night, what was he doing? Where was he? What was he up to? And I think that's a series and every year is a decade or every season is a decade of Dracula roaming in the world fucking shit up or being involved with bad shit.
7: Mm-hmm. And
6: that all came from, like, everybody used to have, like, hey, man. Like, fans used to come up to you, the team was like, where did Dracula get the dynamite? And I was like, I, I didn't write it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I would always be a smartass and go, from the prop guy. <laughs> and then, uh, but I was well, like, I you know what?
1: You. Where, did he get that, where did he get that car? Yeah,
6: yeah. I think he yeah. went. Oh, well,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. At, with the custom yeah. grill plate. Oh, yeah. I love the
6: car. See, it's a great story. Where does that car? And by the way, that car lives in San Diego right now, I think. It's kind of junked out, but I've seen a picture of it. But uh, I, I always joked, that, and that's where my Dracula walking around for 99.9 years comes from, is like, I think he got the dynamite because he was around when they were building the Panama Canal and stole it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and the he's, father.
7: And he's just had,
6: he a, just has it. He just has it.
4: <laughs> the, your dad also shows up with dynamite too in the movie. He's just got a stick of dynamite that he he shoves in the wolf man. There's, There's a lot of dynamite in that, in that town. I know,
1: I think about it. <laughs> well, because it's like a blues. comic strip from the forties. <laughs> yeah, like, Who uses dynamite except to, you know to blow up kids? It's a, perfect, it's a perfect. It's
6: a perfect. It's so simple. It's it's so. Uh, yeah, yes. In the treehouse and the treehouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he leaves. It. I mean, he leaves it. Dracula leaves it in the front yard because he has to fly off. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's like yeah, I mean, dynamite. What a what a, a great weapon. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so simple. It's <laughs> so simple it's so old school. You know, it's fantastic.
4: <laughs> I loved that treehouse too. I adore. It. I, I, I we didn't have trees growing up, so I never got a treehouse. But I loved that that treehouse. I always wanted one.
1: It was a good one. Yeah, that was that
6: was a, that was a super neat practical build and to. Yeah, it was that was pretty rad.
4: But there was actually
1: three tree houses. There was the one up at uh, uh, Santa Clarita Mm -hmm. near Magic Mountain, uh, for the real wide shots. And then there was the there was the one on the stage that was the interior. And I feel like there was one more. Maybe it was on Well I know
6: the practical one in the actual tree in what is now Stevenson's ranch that actually got blown up. (laughs) Uh yeah, we and, blew yeah it up. but uh, yeah everybody asked it's like you know they, they they I mean everybody loves the treehouse cuz everybody wanted one or they went and made their own or built one and that was a very cool thing to have if you had your own treehouse um, and hopefully yeah. it was constructed constructed well but
2: um well I yeah you know, I love I love the flights of fancy that you took with the movie and, and cuz like I, when I watched the movie it was like man the interior of that treehouse is a lot bigger and a lot more friendly than the outside would suggest that it is there's some doctor who tardis shit going on in here but that's fine i don't care and like when sean and his father are watching the movie on the roof i'm like
1: how far up on the hill is this house (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) here's the question how 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 far up on a hill that has a creek with a tree house behind it right
2: Right. Yeah, i right. mean i don't the geography is really interesting in this movie but who gives a shit it's, it's cartoon great.
1: it's it's like asking you know what's what's the geography of a tom and jerry cartoon right right but wait I mean, the, it's, we it's, know it's, the kitchen is in that direction why is jerry going into the hole next to the <laughs> yeah exactly. it's, it's, you're asking these questions <laughs> these are questions <laughs> you've got right. a lot of time on your hands look it, it, right, it's, yeah, the, exactly. it's the
6: same thing if you know the practical neighborhood that they shot et in there are no cornfields there, and there are no big woods, mountains behind it. No, I know this no, like... because that's my neighborhood I grew up in. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in that neighborhood. When C. Thomas Howell and all these guys are going down on their bikes and chasing the cops, the... we invented that shit mm. well before ET did that. Movie. We did that on our dirt bikes in that neighborhood. That park's now called E.T. Park. That's Cessna Park, by the way, for, for, for natives of, uh, of, of Porter Ranch. Um, and that's also coming from an expert because the scene where they're in the bus stop on the hill, and there's a, a house right there, and he says, "Get it, your anus." That was a house I lived in at one time. I lived in three houses up there, two houses up there, and uh, that was my house at one time. And uh, we invented all that bike riding up in the neighborhood. And then there's no trees or cornfields back there. It's all it's all no, it's water. all uh, it, <laughs> Southern California mm-hmm. canyons and rocks mm-hmm. and rattlesnakes. But yeah. um, and also you know because. They recreated that, which was funny, as the backyard with the shed and a fake cornfield for the E.T. Atari game, which I was in. That so <laughs> that's all fake, really? too. Oh, wow. a, that, that was all. I was oh, like, yeah. you know there's no cornfields in this movie. <laughs> How many holes
7: did
4: that little fucker fall into <laughs> accidentally?
6: Oh, oh, my God, I hated that game. Uh,
4: well, yes. I, <laughs> oh, God. I still watch movies that are made around where I live in, you know, near Boston and stuff like that. And it's, geography speaking, I'm always like, that's mm-hmm. not there. That doesn't belong there. That's totally no, wrong. Sure. Uh, or when they shot like Ghostbusters, the new, the newer, the 2016 one in Boston and tried to pass it off as New York City. It's like, guys, listen, there should have been a point where somebody was like, this is so obviously not New York. We should just call it Boston and, and, just, and just walk away from New York because we're not. G- it, it, there's no part of Boston that screams New York uh, at all. Boston's no. a very, very old city. And there's, you know, <laughs> it, it, you, you walk into Boston, you know, it's Boston. You walk into New York, you know, you're in New York. There's no. Question about it, you know, uh, and so it, 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 there's something to be said to that. If you grew up in an area and see a movie yeah. filmed in that yeah. area, you're going like, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm.
2: Like that doesn't? That's not how I- that works. No, 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 not, not <laughs> at all." I live in Detroit. The RoboCop movies have ruined Detroit, <laughs> ruined it, and they've never shot one of those fucking movies here. They've always gone everywhere else. But we always go, "Oh, Detroit! yeah God, it looks like horrible." No, I swear to God, that's outside Pittsburgh. <laughs> no,
3: that's not Detroit. Well, we, it's well, Cleveland. We also grew that's up on
1: Dallas, Houston, or Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's one of those places. Like,
2: we get blamed for this all the time. It's not us. I swear to God, we look a little better than this.
6: We also grew up on uh, Dukes of Hazard, uh, which was shot in Simi Valley in Santa Clarita, which is not <laughs> North Georgia at all. No, and, no um, and not at all. And a little house on the prairie that was not Wisconsin, or that was not Minnesota or Wisconsin, wherever they're supposed to be. No, that was Simi Valley, folks. No. It's, it's like <laughs> scrub oaks and sagebrush and rattlesnakes. It's not. Uh, it's not Wisconsin but uh, that's movie making that's magic it's yeah. movie magic Yeah. that's you know everybody asked you know Fred it's uh, just the other night they were telling us like where, you know, where did this supposed to take place because there's like a swamp but then there's like a, you know like a, the movie theater or the drive-in and then like there's things and I'm like it's called any town USA because mm-hmm. the, yeah. and they go but that's what made it cool because it could have been my town and he goes but it seemed kind of southern
1: <laughs> I had this strange obsession with it being Baton Rouge, Louisiana yeah and mm. Uh, when i met with all the department heads we said okay um, do we have to get do the day players need to have accents do we have to do license plates there were all of these questions that would specify that so we said you know what it's anytime you USA."
6: yeah but i think it worked because that's one of the other things that maybe unintentionally connected with everybody because they were like it didn't matter i wasn't disconnected that was my town that could have been right and i've had a lot of conversations like that which is pretty neat
4: there was a writer I talked yeah, no, to that yeah. a movie of his was turned into a film uh, and he had the same idea of like this is anywhere in the United States because if you put it in one location geographically um, <laughs> it uh, it loses some bit of um, connection it doesn't allow you to project where mm-hmm. you're from on yeah track. you lose the connection mm-hmm. so it being anywhere so, I never thought the Monster Squad had a s- location per se mm-hmm. it was just a small town somewhere um, yeah
2: it's, it's, it's USA bird. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like it's, it's kind of like Springfield, you know, you know yeah. from The Simpsons. Like nobody right. really it's, knows it, where Springfield, always a Springfield is. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Besides, if you're really obsessing over the geographical, uh, yeah. uh, you know, inconsistencies, mm-hmm. you're like, um, didn't you just watch the creature from the Black Lagoon retrieve Frankenstein's coffin and give it to Dracula? You're <laughs> fine with that. <laughs> 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 you're, you're, you're on board with that shit. But but no no there couldn't you know, that's a, come on.
6: But again, like I said, one, one of those <laughs> things that, that, that makes it work and makes it, uh, makes it last. And you know, speaking of that, a lot of people always ask me, why, why does it last? Why does it impact? Why is there a second generation? Um, not only is there a second generation that we meet, but we meet the second generation before they're alive. And then it's been 10, 15 years now. So these kids, they were in the oven when we meet their parents mm-hmm. as fans. And now we know mm-hmm. them as teenagers. It's ridiculous. Why no. does this hold? And I think it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the themes, the archetypes, the characters that everybody connects to doesn't have an era. That's just being human that connects with you and goes on. And it, I, I wouldn't repeat it if I didn't hear it more than actually once. It's been half a dozen times in the last year where people have commented that, yeah, Marvel movies are great. I'm not going to, no one's going to watch a fucking Marvel movie in 2050. Someone's yeah. going to pop in Monster Squad and go, this makes sense. I like this. Yeah, and that's because those archetypes, and I've whittled it down over the years to two things: it's the heart and authenticity that comes across there, yeah. and that's that's Fred and that's Shane and that's the movie makers and uh, what gets what get put got what got put out, whether it was intentional or not, and um, it's heart and authenticity.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that 100. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Well, looking back on the film now would you want to change anything or is there anything that you wanted Make to do me taller. that budget didn't allow <laughs> <laughs> oh. we can do that now It's computers <laughs> oh yeah
1: I would get rid of that rock until you drop song <laughs> 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 yeah but have you
6: ever walked into a bar and the DJ was waiting for you to come in so he could play it <laughs> 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 It's on you, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it makes it.
4: It
7: makes a thing. It makes
4: mm. it a thing. <laughs> I remember how excited I was when they put up the soundtrack for that song for the movie, and the song was on there. I was like, "Yeah,
5: finally!" <laughs> so, you
3: know,
6: yeah, that was loaded. That, uh, CD.
3: Yeah. Why was yeah. there no music I video for that? Oh, well,
6: oh, I I, if, I, <laughs> if the movie had done better, maybe there <laughs> would have been. Along with the action <laughs> no, figures yeah. and, the, yeah. and the and the and the two follow-up
2: subsequent films. Yeah, um, That's what we need. We need some action figures yeah. for this movie out there yeah,
4: now. Definitely. Yeah. You know, oh shit! Because
2: yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I think Steve Wang's design for the creature is my mm-hmm. favorite of yeah, all of beautiful. the designs yeah. for the creature. Well, you know, it's funny. Love it. Universal put
4: out these bendy monster figures, and the creature <clears throat> is the creature from the Monster Squad. They totally ripped it off. <laughs> it's not the universal creature. <laughs> it yeah, off. it's not the universal oh, creature. It's well, the design the from the Monster Squad. It's got the teeth and everything, and I'm looking at the figure, going like, "Well, this is the closest I'm going to get." So I'm grabbing it, but really, <laughs> these
1: guys that's did this nice so they re- wouldn't get nice sued. Yeah. That's a nice reversal. That's a nice reversal.
4: Yeah, I thought that was interesting Crazy. that they decided to go that route and make it look. Uh... By the way,
1: the original creature from Universal is one of the most amazing mm-hmm. sculpting jobs I think ever. Oh, it's beautiful. He, he's, yeah. he's my oh, He's my gorgeous, favorite movie yeah. monster.
4: Him mm-hmm. and Frankenstein. Those, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that monster. one. I, yeah. I think I'm with you on both of
1: those. Yeah,
6: and I
4: did
1: except for the alien. Mm -hmm. The the, the, the which one? The alien. H R G versus the alien. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. The Monster Squad versus (laughs) the alien. How about Monster Squad versus the alien and Predator? That would be one hell of a damn
7: thing.
1: No no Predator, Michael. No Predator. No, that's right. (laughs) Sorry. sorry. (laughs) Go goddamn Predator. (laughs)
2: Fine. So the alien would be enough, yeah, yeah, I it's think. It's Godzilla. Godzilla helps. Like, Godzilla mm-hmm. We can have yeah, Godzilla. Godzilla. Well, that was actually,
1: when, when people asked after the movie, before uh, before the movie met its untimely demise, you know, what's next? I said uh, the Monster Squad versus Godzilla. <laughs> and the idea was going to be that Eugene's dad was actually a fighter pilot.
7: Uh huh.
1: And I'd have to go back and like, oh, I need all prints. we got to put in a little setup there that he was actually a fighter pilot. He, he's, you know, flying over... Uh, Islands in the Pacific, and uh, ah. but this is before every monster and every piece of intellectual property in the history of the civilized world <laughs> has been taken mm-hmm. out of mothballs and reinvented right. and regurgitated and reinvented. It's really tough. It's really hard to come up with something that's special. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that we have our work cut out for us as uh, as creators and filmmakers and actors and directors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What's special? Um, that's so. That's the question that I ask myself
2: when I sit at my desk every day. Well, I, th- I think the Monster Squad is pretty yeah.
4: goddamn special. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, Thank you. I uh, I I can't imagine a world where it doesn't exist, and I don't want to. So, it's just uh, it it means so much to so many people, and I think it, it, I think it's also gotten people through a lot of things too. You know. Um, you know when I, you know, you a lot of memories get attached to these things, and a lot of associations and a lot of um, experiences. Sharing it with people, you know, and and everything like that, it, it all becomes a part of the product or becomes a part of the the, the film, uh, and it stays with you. You know, um, every time I watch this movie, and it's not even like it's not even like there's anything necessarily emotional in this particular instance, but when Dracula grabs Sean and is pulling him and dad's yelling, mom's yelling, is he going to get sucked in? I start getting like, I start tearing up. I know what's going to happen. I know what's coming, but the music that scene and when he finally stakes him and his friends grab him, it's like that right there is where I go huh, every time. It's just like, I have to remind myself that like, you know, it's a movie. You're It's good, you know? And, when I was a that's kid, lovely. Frankenstein getting sucked in is what made me cry. I was always wanting Frankenstein's well, that monster to to somehow that's be the sli- it
1: scraps. You know, it's all about it's all about Phoebe throwing stuff. I know. So. Yeah, know, when
2: she does that, that's the yeah that's the arrow to the heart. It's like oh god yeah. damn it. <laughs> Iris thought yeah. what
4: could be an interesting follow up to that. Is that when, as a teenager she tries to get him back and she accidentally opens up limbo again and, and does get him back, but also someone else comes through too. And now it's round two, so you know.
2: Because yeah, Frank didn't deserve that shit. He was a nice guy. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. You know. It was now a, that,
6: that that bit still gets everybody. Trust me, that's uh, it, it I, does. I've seen does. Gr- I've seen grown men. If you watch, they, they still <laughs> yeah, they still yeah. uh, they still wipe it. So it's uh, it, it's a it's well, a Chris, fantastic bit.
1: Chris brings up a, a, a really interesting point. If you can get sucked into limbo, then you, you come think, out? Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: There's yeah. Yeah, 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 theory. Well, why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. All oh, you, yes. did you I mean, Dan right. Helsing He's pops up for a
4: split second, he doesn't come out, but he manages to pop back up. So,
0: interesting. Yeah. You don't actually. Which, which
4: allows me to give a
6: fantastic I... thumbs up. <laughs> that I have had to re- that I've had to recreate many
7: times.
2: <laughs> up, Van Helsing, grabs him, and he almost looks like, "Oh, hey, free Dracula!" <laughs> 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 ah,
1: thanks, kid. That's what he wanted. <laughs> That's why he went to the castle in the first place a right. hundred years right, ago. Right, right, right. He was so happy. His, it's mission, like, oh, has, his mission has been accomplished. He's been floating around limbo <laughs> <was> like,
4: waiting <laughs> to get that fucker, and he finally yeah. did. You know, and and uh, yeah. it's uh, you know, it's great, and I, I do I love that moment where. Sean stakes him and then he sta- he's free for a second and his friends just immediately grab for him and it's just like they've been they've been building that human chain this whole time trying to figure out how to get to him and then they find and they get him and then they uh you know they they pull him to safety and I think that that's just you know that whole sequence is the music and everything in that is just phenomenal that whole the, the last you know I, I 15 20 minutes with all the monsters and the kids fighting back and everything is just incredible I'll
1: tell you I'll tell you the truth true fact, Chris, is that when we screen the movie, and, and Andre will uh, back me up because he's with me when this happens, I always we, we maybe we'll watch the beginning, but then I, then I go off and I hang out with my friends or I get a cocktail or something, and I look at my watch and as soon as I know that they're coming out of the scary mansion and, and scary yeah. German guy's driving up in that yeah. Jeep, I go back into the theater.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it plays like a- yeah. incredible. I mean, that just... Yeah. It's the payoff. Yeah. That's the, and that's the thing, Fred. I mean, you know, you when you when you when you watch a film, and you know, despite any amount of things you're asking the audio to, the audience to swallow, as outrageous as your concept is, if you stick the landing, they're they're yeah. fine with it. And that, that movie sticks the yeah. landing like a mother. It really does. It just it hits you emotionally. It hits you. Uh, from the satisfaction of seeing the bad guys vanquished, and then it ends on a great line: "We're the Monster Squad!" Yeah. Boom, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just—it was great. I mean, it's just—you know—you're—you're. You're, i have thought that about all your movies, man. And even yes, even RoboCop Three, which I think is underrated. I, I've really always enjoyed your work so much as a director because it seems like you're having so much damn fun it's it's doing true, this yeah. stuff. But it's you important. Know, Night of the Creeps is—I love that. I mean. It's Tom Atkins and the shotgun. You figured out the formula. <laughs> you want a good movie, get Tom Atkins and the shotgun. You're yeah. done. <laughs> you know? And then on top of that, you had fun dialogue and great performers and these really awesome creatures and all this stuff. I mean, it's just. Uh, I think the reason I've been attracted to your work so much over the years is because this is a guy who's just having a fucking ball doing this and telling really interesting stories with really interesting characters. And I. I um, you know, I keep saying, Fred, I'm, 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 I'm in it to win it with you no matter what you do for the rest of your career. You're I don't care kind. if you start doing my dinner with Andre. I don't care. I, I want to see what yeah. you're doing. You know? You're very
1: kind, Michael. Um, I, and I think that whatever I do next, uh, if I'm lucky enough to, to do that, I think you will see recognizably that it's the same guy because the heart you know, what you're talking about, a sense of, a sense of fun, a sense of, of outcasts overcoming odds mm-hmm. and heart those are kind of the, the, the hallmarks that i look
4: to, to reach in. Yeah. And that's in Night of the Creeps as well. It's very much in there. Oh, you know, big time. Yeah. You, you gave the, the, the dorky kid the love interest, and that was... I mean, really, I don't remember m- many movies before that even going that route, you know? It, the hero was the hero. The underdog didn't get the girl. The hero got the girl, and the underdog might have lived to the end to help the hero right. to the end, you know? um or in a horror film if <laughs> or you know you made it the, the, yeah, the underdog like, didn't make it past the first reel you know but i mean you know you have this movie where it's you know that yeah it's it, it totally works on that level
2: yeah and although i mean i gotta say Fred, i mean i i really love the idea in robocop 3 of robocop flying around i thought it was a great <laughs> idea but the problem is People don't want to see. People don't want to see a metallic like superhero a flying, flying around. No, no yeah. that's not stuff. That's know. an idea <laughs> whose time is just never gonna come. No, Fred. Right, I think that was, right. that was. You know what are you gonna still do? Advised, just, still advised, yeah, it was. But it, look, what happened? You know what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> what are you <laughs> 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 well then, I know that it, it was a criticism, mm. and it's just like, well, that rings a little hollow mm-hmm. now. I gotta be honest with you, you know. Yeah, it doesn't really work at yeah. all. But you yeah. know,
4: but what 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 did what does work uh, in the Monster Squad, and you know, in Night of the Creeps to what degree as well, is obviously what you brought to it. But um, you know, in with Monster Squad, um, I think all of us, in a way. The reason we all sort of responded to it the way we did i can't speak for these guys but i can speak for myself is we all identified with every one of those characters all of us wanted Mm -hmm. to be a leader like sean all of us wanted to be as funny as patrick we all wanted to be as cool as rudy and have the bravery that horace eventually comes out with and then be as cute as eugene and be as quick-witted as Mm -hmm. phoebe and quick mouthed as phoebe We all wanted those things, you know, and we all, there was a little part of us in each one of those characters that really struck a chord because it was, there wasn't one specific character that had a trait that you didn't love. They were just great kids to be around. Uh, unlike those assholes in the Goonies, I personally think Mikey is a serial killer that wanted to murder all his friends. But we'll, we'll get on a tangent on that. No, hey, you
2: know, this is not turned into a Goonies that's versus right. Monsters Screw that movie. No, no. Listen, I I, 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 don't think that's fair to the Goonies or people. I know people that love both movies. I mean, don't get me wrong. Fuck the Goonies. It sucks. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm uh, not making the
4: comparison. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm just saying, no, no, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm making that saying. comparison at all. I'm just, you know, w- when you have movies where there's kids, involved and especially an ensemble a cast yeah. I know there's a lot of people who look at those and go oh shit you know and, and a lot of that has to do with Goonies because a lot of those adults were annoyed by those kids and in the Monster Squad that doesn't happen the adults no. watch and they're like uh, the these are way- cool kids i like these yeah. kids like i want
2: i would hang out with these well, kids the only way Goonies would have worked for me is if at every challenge that they met one of the kids dies
3: <laughs> that's that's Willy Wonka and eventually
2: yeah. they're just left yeah. with like nobody yeah. and they blow it well that's it. what mikey wanted yeah and then they blow it and then they don't you know, they don't get the 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 fortune and the neighborhood goes up and they have to move into a a tenement somewhere <laughs> it would be the most depressing kids movie ever made. And, and is, but, is Anne Ramsey know, and the Pizza Brothers do. still <laughs> involved? <Yeah. laughs> no, no, no. They're, not, they're, they're not even in the <laughs> right. We need, need them. Anymore. and
6: <laughs> a pirate ship. No. Like we need, I don't know. We don't. No. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I'll wrap it. It's funny because you know, there's, you know, sometimes we stoke the Goonies, Monster Squad thing, but they're just completely different. But apples and oranges. You know, a lot of people always ask me, like, what's your. What's your favorite kids adventure movie of that era? And they they want me to say Monster Squad, and it's not. I'm not going to vote for ourselves, you know. And it, and it, and it's not. I think, but I think in the same vein of two movies that are completely different but have that same impact as a group, my favorite kids adventure movies of that time is Stand By Me and Red Dawn. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And because people go, well, that's not a kids especially. adventure. Yeah, I, I said, Red Dawn is the ultimate kids adventure movie <laughs> right. because there's a price. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. right and uh, you know and, and i think that's what a lot of things hit with people with monster squad even though it was fantastical with supernatural and monsters and creatures and and and, and lore uh there there was uh there was there was some, some darkness and some realness to it that yeah. uh, you, you could you had fun with the fantasy but you you, you could feel that there was some danger. It was the first time you yeah. saw kids in danger and I said act, I was like, have you seen Red Dawn? Right, like, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the ultimate danger, but you know, two different things. But uh I like the fact that they're all in the same conversation. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. there were some heavy yeah. stakes in in mm-hmm. Monster Squad. They were saving the world, you know?
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. And uh I would compare it to Stand By Me as well. I mean, they're both coming-of-age stories, you know, with kids mm-hmm. coming into play. and, and, that related you know, and finding related that himself. I understood. I mean, you know, when Horace Horace is scared to go near Frankenstein's monster, and then he blows away the creature and finds that bravery, after he does that, like, no one's going to fuck with him anymore. He's done well, being Well, I
6: bullied. mean, that's why Horace has the best arc of any character in the movie. Like, yeah. everybody has their spots, but he's that... That hero arc that uh, is yeah. uh, is is hoped for but unexpected or y- usually the underdog doesn't you know it doesn't happen. Um, uh, Henry McComas has a great take on how Horace is as is a character in treating this movie compared to Chunk, um, where Chunk is the oh, butt yeah. of the jokes should, yeah. and the yeah. focus of jokes of even his friends. And Horace is not is not mm-hmm. that. No. And then Ashley's always said that Horace has the has the best arc of any character in the movie. And that's oh, yeah. why he's I love so... This theory. Huh?
1: I love her theory, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's I because don't.
6: he's... That's what everybody wishes they could do if they're ever in this situation. And that's right. what we all strive for in life. And that's what also makes it, uh, you know, tra- tra- tragic, yes, but on both sides that the fans don't get to meet Brent. But Brent also doesn't get to experience that. I mean, if Brent was still around, no one would come talk to us at a convention. <laughs> like, no, like, no one would come talk to anybody else. They would wait in line all day and be like, oh, there's Andre, he played Sean. Great, yeah. hi, and I'm waiting in line for a horse. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and that's just true, and that's what's great about that character. And um, we, we we treat him differently than, than that yeah. character in other, in other movies.
4: I think in some way his um, presence is definitely felt. Around you know, I think people, you know, I, you know it, 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 people remember him. They remember that character. They immediately like. There's a lot of folks who gravitate towards him, and I think that has a sure. lot. That obviously has a lot to do with him. So, well, I, I his yeah, presence is going to live on forever because of this movie.
2: And Fred, I want to give you and Shane a lot of credit for writing those characters because it's so easy for adults to write kid characters mm-hmm. as snarky and yeah. mean and mm-hmm. hip and you know just caricatures of what real kids those ages are and you didn't mm-hmm. do that i mean you have them they bust each other's balls definitely and they kid around with each other like uh, friends like my friends did at oh, that yeah, yeah. age but you didn't condescend to mm-hmm. them you didn't make them out to be okay he's the fat one so everyone makes fun of how fat he is it's like there's a little bit of that but it's not and you have the you had the sense to see that when something would you know he was getting bullied it hurt him you could see the hurt register on his face Mm -hmm. it wasn't just tossed off like oh whatever guys it it bothered him and it bothered his friends that he was treated like that and that that most filmmakers don't have that kind of insight when they write for younger characters like that because they they haven't been kids in a long time well that's i was going to
1: bring up i was going to mention that i mean you know we were pretty young we were both you know just fresh out of college when we wrote it and also, I don't know to the degree that, 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 that Shane can uh, uh, attest to this, but I suspect he can, you know, going through stuff as a kid and feeling like the outcast and feeling like you're not the cool kid, that really rings true to me in character work, and so it seemed like that was, that was kind of the only way we, we could go with some of these characters. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was our personal experience.
4: Yeah. I think even Rudy, to a certain extent, has that you know that experience where he's in junior high and he's hanging out with kids that are younger than him. So yeah, what he's is that outcast, so he's an outcast too. too. Yeah, yeah, too. Exactly. You know, he's he's not he yeah. might yeah. he's cool to everyone else because they look up to this kid who's in junior high, and then but maybe in junior high he's the, you know he's the one who's getting picked on or looked past or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He's because he, he's coming to these kids for friendship and um, you know and, and I love. Um, uh, Phoebe's line when they're talking about letting him to the club I heard he killed his dad so <laughs> it's like those are the rumors going around you know about this kid <laughs> this five year old hearing rumors about Rudy the you know the tough kid and, uh, and well, also that's my favorite a, laugh oh. in the movie where do you know any virgins and he just spits the drink out I, think
6: that's <laughs> I mean it's a, I love that throwaway line I heard he killed his dad because like of course. What? Where did you hear that uh, in the neighborhood? But uh, and it's de- well, and it's delivered. That, yeah. It's delivered wonderfully. But uh, yeah. you know, to bring up the fact with Rudy, the character, you know, Ryan Lambert always has a great take on it. Um, where you know the hair, the glasses, the leather jacket. Rudy's not the. You know, you don't know what's going on in Rudy's life. Like that. That is all his armor. That's yeah. just armor because he's mm-hmm. the same as us. Because he was us a year ago. Or to he's right. just put this armor on to deflect that a little bit, and now he's found out. He goes, "This is where I belong," right. and and maybe I, the
1: other kids who are his age are you know social climbers who who you know they're cool and ironic and trying to be you know big big man on campus, and he tried to be that too, and maybe. You know, there's something about innocence and openness that is missing from kids his age, and that's why he hangs out with the squad because they're no. they're open books. They're just you know thirsty for fun experiences, and they're not they're not so judgmental.
2: Yeah, no, he doesn't want to grow up and be like his other these contemporaries. He's like, I'm more like the year beneath yeah. me.
1: It's interesting, you know? theory. yeah.
4: And then you got yeah. Eugene, who's five. You know, he's 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 the youngest kid there, and it's like they probably saw this kid getting picked on and went, "Come on, we got you," you know and he they're the ones he looks up to um
6: yeah i mean th- i think we met we met eugene at the you know either in this in our neighborhood in any town usa or we met him at the comic book store or at, you know mm-hmm. seeing a movie and you know he just latched on to the gang you know yeah. he's, he's, cuz he's,
4: it's almost like to a little extent he's, he's not the really the into the the kid with the dog yeah he's not really <laughs> into the monster stuff but he's into the he's in cuz he, his rooms you know robotech and there's robots and stuff like that so maybe he's more into the sci-fi aspect a little bit but yeah. or comic books maybe but like he's there because these kids are his friends and he loves that he has these friends and i love that he has the dog pete is amazing and pete <laughs> pete takes out a monster too with the money yeah. so mm-hmm. i mean good for yeah. you guys yeah, for pete, letting the dog pete, do something because <laughs> yeah, Pete definitely does help. I love that line. How does that dog get up here anyway? And I was like, How does that dog get
6: up? Here? <laughs> Fred, Fred shot it. There's a. There's a. There's a. It's on camera. It's on film.
1: Oh, really? And we put Pete on a wire to be sucked into the vortex too. You did. Oh, well, that's yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you do have a line. Yeah, you. you have his. St- he <laughs> was, Wait a minute.
6: not yeah, Concerned minute. about it either. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You kept in Pete's stunt rigging shot, <laughs> but not mine. I just realized this.
2: <laughs> now I have more therapy to get. And I gotta say, the dog's not giving nearly the performance of Andre, because when you look at the dog, he's just kind of
1: like, Hey, what are you gonna do? You know, Andre, you got plenty of screens. I, <laughs> <but laughs> I would have traded something for that stunt yeah. You should have told me. Yeah. I, what did I tell you? Like, By like, the way, there are actors in Hollywood who would do that. I'd be I'd be rigging uh, the, the the stunt gaffer be with me and, and the, the uh, animal expert and we've got pete up there we're making sure he's comfortable and all that and there are actors who would come out what about me being on the wire <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for not doing that no
6: no it was it was fun to do i it, it's uh i mean who gets to do that not uh mm-hmm. not very many people so it's uh that that's great that's great and um he, wherever he is, I hope he's doing. Well. He's, he's, he's a, yeah. he, I think he hit the Rainbow Bridge a while ago, but that's all right. Yeah, yeah. He, he's I up a there with. A, he got sucked
4: into the He's in limbo. He's that. in. Yeah. True limbo. Yeah. Oh, poor Pete. <laughs> I had a bass and hound when I first saw this movie, so not a beagle. Oh, but You know, they were, they were somewhere <laughs> looking. It's cool. Um, it's cool.
6: Well, that's what it's all about. Yeah.
4: So, um, yeah. so guys, so I think uh, we can wrap this up here. Um, I want to thank you both immensely. Yeah for joining us tonight this um this means the world to me um you know i haven't had the opportunity to meet either one of you in person someday and i hope to um you know because you know this movie really did um mean a lot still means a lot i i don't hesitate if someone tells me they haven't seen it we're watching it (laughs) the the soonest (laughs) we're able to uh whether it's right then and there or within a specific time frame that's I find acceptable. Like you've got 72 hours to find 80 minutes to sit down and watch this movie with me. Mm -hmm. And after that, like, you know, we're not friends anymore if you don't watch it. So (laughs) you're, you're you're out of my life. Um, you know, and I, I passed it on to my niece and my nephew, um, you know, who are of the age 11 and six and, you know, they both love it and they're telling their friends about it and, you know, and they want to see it now. And so, you know, it, it's something I'm going to pass on to them and they're going to pass on. It's just going to live forever. And thank you so much to both of you for making it and letting us have it because really it, it is for us. And,
6: you know, we love That's
4: it.
1: Very thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, and Thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah. 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 Thanks for inviting thank us. Yes. Uh, thank you.
6: It's always fun to chat about it and, um, you know, look forward to the next time. Soon the creatures of the night shall rule the world.
1: And there is
0: no one to stop us!